welcome to this episode of Buy It High No Limit, the podcast about people's relationship with technology. I'm Carlos, and this is the second part of the interview that we had with Bob Pape. If you haven't done so already, look back to part one of this podcast, and then you'll get fully up to speed. So without any further ado, let's uh, carry on from where we left off last time. Here I am back in the back in the study. I, I thought I'd come to the library to do this one. Yes, you know, here I am. <laughs> uh, I've told the servants to have the night off. So it's, you know, all that money I made, you know, writing <laughs> games. What, you know, what can you do? <laughs> oh, oh I can, yeah. I, I can only sleep in one of my bedrooms at a time, you know, in the mansion. So uh, <laughs> it, it's roller dice. That's where I sleep. So when the game came out, R-Type and, and Rampage, uh, which are they're the ones I'll keep going back to because they're the ones that I, I really know. I mean, I know that you programmed a couple more games for the ZX Spectrum before you moved on to other systems. Yeah. I believe you did one for System 3. Was that, was that right in Ryslet? Yeah. After R-Type, then it was Tusker for System 3, yeah. which was an experience. Right. <laughs> how, did that, how did that vary from uh, R-Type then? <laughs> You know the money story behind R-Type, i.e. there wasn't any. Do you not understand that? Yeah. If you if you add it all up, I think maybe three, three and a half thousand, I think I got for R-Type, including the PC and the dev kit. And then I took it with Jackie Lyons, with Marshak. She became my uh, agent. So we go up to see Mark Cale at System 3. And she and I are sitting alone in a room. And she says to me, now, Bob, we've got to talk about money. I tell you what, I'm going to ask Mark for 15,000, but I don't think you go for that. I think you go for 13 and a half. Is that all right with you? <laughs> and I'm going, mm, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes I, I, that's fine. 13 and a half, that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> that was the easy part then, getting bloody paid was the deal. <laughs> that was different. But luckily, when you were with Jackie Lyons, you know, you she was this safety net. You didn't have to deal with, you know, you. You had to ask, but you didn't usually have to deal and you didn't piss off Jackie Lyons. Mm. I've seen her annoyed. I've seen her really annoyed, you know. Right. Another point, I was owed well, some money and being paid. So she sent Guy, who used to work for her, I think he runs it now, actually. He sent him off on his motorbike over London to get it, you know, get a check. But no, my, the, the, the Tusker was, oh, God knows. It was ridiculous. I come off our type and I think... Who did Last Ninja? Last Ninja 2. Was it Mev? Mev Dink? Mev Lutt? Yeah. I think it was Mev. And then System 3 had two games come up. They had Tusker, which was the 3D walkie aroundy, jumpy, shooty thing, and a, a shoot 'em up called Dominator, mm-hmm. if I remember right. And of course, who gets the shoot 'em up? <laughs> who gets the 3D game? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I could have taken what I learned on R-Type and gone to the next extreme with Dominator. You know, it would have been everything I'd done on R-Type, but I'd learned from all my mistakes. No. <laughs> I have no idea. You had to do the last ninja clone or whatever. Yeah, to, yeah and yeah. it was ridiculous. I mean, so I've got to come up with brand new techniques that I've never done before. And I don't know if it was me who did Dominator. Uh, you can look it up probably later on. Mm-hmm. But somebody did it. And they had to learn new techniques from it. And of course, instead of having two games from two coders that were good because they'd done that thing before. Yeah. But Tusker was ridiculous. Uh, it's it. mad. Did you enjoy actually programming it or was it something that you sort of like uh, didn't like doing from start to finish? Because uh, 
it didn't do as well as um, our type, I don't think. It was a failed idea. You know, we went, the first meeting we had, we had all the coders from, well, everyone was there in a conference room, everybody. And this guy hands around this sheet of fanfold paper, you know, computer fanfold, and it's about 50 odd, 60 pages. And I think, oh, is this the game spec? You know, wow. And all it was was 60 pages of dinosaur stats. Hmm. Literally, you know, Diplodocus, blah, 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 Stegosaurus, blah, 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 Iguanodon, blah, 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 Tyrannosaurus Rex, blah, blah, blah. It was that. It was pages out. There was nothing about the game in there. And now, obviously, it's a Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff. We all know that. It's pretty straightforward. Good news, you know. And it was like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we're going to have all these big dinosaurs and they're going to walk across the screen and, ah, and Tyrannosaurus, ah, it's coming after you. And he's like, well, you know, it's a 48K spectrum. I know it's a multi-load, but we're going to put all the game in the multi-load, not all the dinosaurs for level one in the multi-load. I mean, you know, so it went, it went from... I don't know if it was Mark's idea, it was someone's idea, but at some point it was, you know, and there's a brontosaurus and it does this and it does that. And in the end, all I could do was its neck coming out of the water, you know, sort of like, <laughs> it's very, you know, Rod Hull and Emu type thing. Hello, hello, oh my, Diplodocus, you know, where's the rest of you? Oh, it's under there, you can't see it, it's under you the water. To, you have to imagine. <laughs> you have, yes, 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 it's a really big dinosaur, honest, wink. You know, <laughs> and um, it just went from there. It, I think I said, I don't know if I've seen the book, but I've said elsewhere, everybody in the industry worked on Tusker, hmm. really did. I mean, literally people, you know, I after writing the book, you get emails, oh, I worked on Tusker, oh, I worked on Tusker, I did this, <laughs> I did that. Yeah. Everybody worked on various versions of it. Yeah, and it wasn't a pain to write. It was different. I was doing something that wasn't a shoot 'em up or whatever. I, you know, it was a 3D game, and you've got to work out how do you do it so that if you're in front of a rock here, but you're behind it here, and but it's not real 3D, it's fake 3D. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do you do that? How do you go underwater when there isn't any water? How do you wade in water when there's, you know, how do you work out levels and things? Yeah. But no, later on, when I do, I. I did a, a couple of golf games, PGA golf games for, for the Master System and the Game Gear. And I enjoyed those a lot because that was how do you create a 3D environment on in a 2D system. Yeah. That I enjoyed. That that had a lot of... I liked doing that. It had that clever stuff in there. That had log tables and anti-log tables in there to handle decimal. This is a Z80 with... You can't handle... What is it called? BCD? By... Uh, there's a technique for using decimal points in Z80, but it's really ancient. It's, a, it's an old technique. Mm. But, you know, you hit the ball and it's got to go and you've got to draw a 3D screen and you've got to calculate trajectories and wind and stuff. And then you've got to draw it on a character map screen. Mm. You know, you've got to draw a 3D viewpoint on a character map screen. No. And it's got to have trees and the ball's got to hit the trees and bounce off at angles and things. And it was, how do you do that? And it's, oh, logs, anti-logs, parabola. You draw a parabola, but you only need to draw half a parabola because the, you flip it and then you've got the other half of the parabola. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and techniques like that. And, uh, you know, it was doing stuff like that. I enjoyed that. But uh, I didn't not enjoy Tusker. It just wasn't a great, not a great idea. You try your best and what with what you've got and that's good enough. There, I should give an example. We had uh, one of the puzzles was there's a scarecrow, 
you know, standing there and you've got to set fire to the scarecrow and he burns up and there's a treasure where the scarecrow was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll, oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, get a, get a thing from, I assume it was Mark or somebody. Oh, you know, when you burn the scarecrow, yeah. Um, can we leave a pole, you know, can you just leave a pole behind instead of, you know, the, the cross that he was on because it's a burning cross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and it was all right. We'll change you to a pole instead yeah. of a cross. It's yeah. a scarecrow. How do you think scarecrows? You know, stand yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, I, my, my, I had last ninja with the rubber. I don't know if you. I gave it away. I had the rubber throwing star. Oh crikey! Yeah, that came with one, didn't it? it was the last ninja free. Yeah, yeah. And it came with a ninja mask, like a balaclava. <laughs> That if your head was that big, it was about that big. It went like that, and it's it sort of stood there, and it looked like there was a head on top of yours, and he couldn't get it over with. You know, it's a lost ninja beanie hat. <laughs> well, it's meant to be like a you know a ninja mask, and he was supposed to go ah oh, ninja, you know. But uh, yeah, well, that's one of the greatest memories of, of growing up in the eighties. Everything was ninjas for a while. It was ninja this, ninja that. You had it, it was. A, it was all marvellous. <laughs> so, <laughs> really, really enjoy that shuriken. Unless you, unless you watched uh, the Master Lee Van Cleef television series, Lee Van Cleef made um, uh, what was his name? Shokasogi, uh, the one who was in all the Canon films. Yeah. Lee Van Cleef. It was a kind of updating of David Carradine's Kung Fu, but instead of a Kung Fu, Lee Van Cleef, who was about seventy years old at the time was this white ninja master, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it literally was a case of, you know, ha-ha, I put my helmet, you know, put it on. Hang on. He looks like about 30 years younger and, and a lot shorter and, and yeah, maybe, you know. Yeah, and fitter. He's able to do all this ninjutsu in front of me. That's it. Yeah, and then, you know, you do it and then you cut yeah. away and then you go, <laughs> you, know. you know what? I don't think it was Lee Van Cleef myself. I think it was someone else pretending well, this is this is probably you've probably got an insider knowledge on on film and all that. You know, you you, you do have you do have a life outside of, uh, of of being a computer programming god. Obviously, <laughs> it's not a god. No, it's not a god. No, 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 no. No, I just wrote. No, I wrote one. I wrote one game that everyone liked, and sixteen that didn't. Then that no one went. Oh, oh, perhaps two. You know, and then perhaps, you know, the rest was like, you know, no. So you'd say you're the, you're the Jonah Louie of, uh, of of computer games. In yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't stop the cavalry, unfortunately. Yeah, you, just, you, you play the greatest hit, and then uh, yeah, when you go, these are the other ones. You go, and everyone goes to the bar or something. Maybe actually, before. this is gonna. It's not meant to sound pretentious. It's not meant to sound anything uh, other than my career in computing mirrored Orson Welles. Pretty close because well started off with the the radio broadcast and then Citizen Kane and from then it was downhill. Yeah. Now Wells's last film was um, he was the voice of uh, one of the Transformers in the cartoon, in the film cartoon um, Optimus Prime I think he was. And my last computer game was about robots, giant robots or something, and both probably had about the you know sold about the same amount. <laughs> But uh, I'm not classing myself as Orson Welles. I'm just saying our paths suffered a similar trajectory. Uh, I think. So yeah, no, I'd, I'd understand the the, the uh, explanation you're giving. You're saying that everyone holds you in a very high regard, but you say that you did one really good game, like a magnum opus, really, for everyone who who remembers. But um, 
if we all li live long enough, we'll all go like that, hopefully, you know. So, well, that, be... you know, that was my uh, Andy Warhol 15 minutes of fame. You know, that was it. It was, there you go. You're in the spotlight. Hooray, hooray. But unless you realise that, you know, you, you, you write an, a game. Back then, it took six months, eight months, nine months. Now it takes years, five years, ten years. You put on the market and it's in the you know the magazine say, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. This is brilliant. And then four weeks later, it's another game that's, wow, this one's great. This one's great. And then your game, the one you spent two years, three years making, yeah. you know, eventually it's in kex for two pounds, you know, or sex or whatever you pronounce it, for two pounds fifty in the bargain bin. It sort of surprised me again towards the end of the spectrum, you know, like you, your game was in a box for nine ninety nine. And the next time I saw it, it was like on a hit squad, uh, like one ninety nine, two ninety nine, you know. And it, it, they just came down in price so quickly as well, you know. And it, it sort of um, they, they didn't hold their value, retail value, for for very long in the end, did they? No, you know why they put all these games towards the end of the spectrum? They put them in these large cardboard boxes. Do you know why they did that? Imagine some sort of marking to fill half a shelf up to stop other people getting shelf space. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. If you know, instead of having a row of original cassette games i mean imagine how many cassettes you could get into you know a shelf and then you put three of these or four of my games up there or four of activisions it you know and they fill up the shelf and yeah you can't sell any other people's games i feel yeah i feel i missed a trick with that because what they didn't understand about computer gamers and uh, things like that is that they're some of us are, are sort of like uh, somewhere on, on a spectrum, maybe. And I want all my games to look the same going across, you know. And I, I used to love the clam box case boxes, you know, like um, Imagine used to do Yeah Kung Fu in a clamshell box. And, yeah. and like Daily Thompson's Decathlon by Ocean yeah. was in a clamshell and all that. Then they went to a jewel case and they went to a double jewel case and they went to an A5 box. And, you know, for, for someone like me, you know, I want them all looking the same. I don't care whether it was in... You know, 1981, you know, and I'd have all these games, and all of a sudden I'd have Bob Pope's R Type, and it'll be in a big box. And I can't, I can't display it. I can't display it at home anymore. I know. So, I've got, you know, yeah. you can see behind me. I've got a load of, uh, you know, they're all DVDs and Blu-rays and things, and uh, I've got them on shelves. And of course, then you get, uh, you know, you get a oh, a tin. You you normally get a, yes. a rubbish or tin a of DVDs. Set. Yeah, box a box set, set and yeah. it sticks out above everyone else. And I, I try and keep everything together, so I've got. You know, if I need to get, say, um, Die Hard or Mad mm. Max, I've got them on Blu-ray, but I've got one Die Hard on DVD, and it annoys me because it sticks out, and I've got to keep it because it's got stuff on it that's not on the Blu-ray. Well, what also happened was with games is that the the names vanished. I mean, Matthew Smith. Mm. You know, if I say Sandy White, mm -hmm. Don Priestley, mm -hmm. you know, Mike Singleton. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you would buy a Matthew Smith game. It doesn't matter what it was. You know, what was it? Minor William the Taxman was supposed to be the follow-up to Jet Set Willie, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. People would have bought that sight unseen. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a new Matthew Smith game. That's a sequel to Jet Set Willie. Let me have it. What's yep. it about? I don't know. I'll have it, you know. Um, you know, what's uh, David Aubrey Jones or... Uh, uh, finders keepers, mm -hmm. is it or David Jones? Uh, sorry, I know there's two of them. I know David David Jones, I think. David was it Spellbound Jones. trilogy, yeah. Uh, funny enough, I, uh, I spoke to him years and years before I actually got involved in writing games over the phone because I <laughs> bought his one of his programs and I and something was missing, so I called up the company and got put straight through to him. 
<laughs> and he explained what had happened. Anyway, so David Jones, let's make sure I got it right. David Aubrey Jones was the author, wasn't it? Advanced Spectrum Machine Language. Did he do that? And Starion, Starion. Oh, yeah, game. yeah. Melbourne House. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> David, you know, Finders Keepers and Spellbound. That was his as mm, well, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Even something as, as ridiculous as, you know, uh, the latest advanced simulator from the Oliver Twins or whatever. I mean, people would, again, you know, 199 it doesn't matter what it was, you'd mm. buy it because it was from people you knew. And then it show, and then we like, like like book authors really weren't they? You know, it's like people yeah, will buy yeah. Stephen King books regardless of, uh, of of what's in them. You know, yeah, it's, it's same with films. You know, I'm going to watch the latest Clint Eastwood. I'm going to watch the latest Spencer Tracy. I'm going to watch the latest Charlie Chaplin. Mm. It's all it's been like that for decades. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, that's how films were advertised. You know, mm. we're going to see a. You know, a Marilyn Monroe. We're going to see a, you know, we're going to see a, a horror. It would, you know, a Hammer film. It, it's, it's that kind of. Thing. It doesn't matter what it is. You kind of know what you're getting from the name. And then we went into um, console stuff. Mm. And you know, who's right? Who's you know? No, no one knows. Yeah. Do you know? Do you do you care that I wrote PGA Tour Golf for the Game Gear? Because my my name only appears, you know, in the, at the end kind of thing. It's not. You know, it's not a Bob Pate production. Don't mm. don't da. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Golf type, <laughs> which were, wouldn't have helped. It wouldn't have sold any more units than it had. But what if it had been, you know, a Matthew Smith production? Matthew Smith presents. You know, Minor Willie meets the Taxman for the Game Boy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it. you know, it's that. Who wrote? It's a lot of games. Just it, it went back to the. And not anonymity, and I think a lot of it was covered by, by the publishers saying, "Oh, there's so many people involved. It's not your game, you know. It's a, it's it's a you know, ooh, it's an effort by all of us." Mm, yeah, it's um, uh, the the film analogy is quite a good one because yeah, you'd say you'd go and see, I'm going to see a Marilyn Monroe film. You know, you're going to get a Marilyn Monroe. You know, you'd be surprised if you didn't get what you thought you were going to get. But these days, I guess, like you know, you the the Marvel universe and all that, it doesn't matter who produces them who stars them and who makes them it's the marvel name on the top that has to continue so it's gone from the artist and the creator going at the top billing it's now the the franchise it is carries on yeah no matter who is making it to keep that franchise going yeah you know what what is the you know fast and furious x or fast and furious x1 or whatever the next one is to be or mission impossible 8 or I mean, you know, to some extent, Harry Potter, but then, you know, you knew what you were getting with Harry Potter before you even went to the films. Mm, but, mm. Um, to, I mean, they're talking about doing Top Gun 3, mm. you know, because Top Gun 2 was such a, a, you know, a money spinner. It made so much money. But you would go to see that because of the title, because, oh, I've saw, oh, I enjoyed the, you know, so I'm going to enjoy this one. But, um, yeah. you know, sometimes, yeah, sequels are never... Mm. What you you know they they are disappointments. Sometimes it very very rarely they're better. You know, in case of say James Cameron and Aliens, mm, mm. you know that that compared to Alien, which is a hell of a film as well. It changed genre, yeah. It changed genre from horror to adventure, didn't it? I guess in a way. Uh, my favorite Alien story, and and a few people I've told this. I, uh, if you've ever seen me or met me, and we talk about films, I will tell you this story because it is absolutely brilliant. When Alien came out, uh, I was up in London, and I think I saw the first public showing of it. And I was, uh, we even got to, you know, uh, Forbidden Planet, 
when they were one shop in Denmark Street had a sign in with Giga. Mm. And I've got his autograph, thank God, you know. I met the guy and he, God, he looked, he's as weird as you can imagine. <laughs> anyway, Aliens comes out and I've got to see this because, right, so I get to see the second public showing and I'm in a, in, I think it was the Odeon Leicester Square and I'm sitting and in front of me, slightly to my right, is another guy and you know when you're nervous, your knee starts trembling, you do this, <laughs> he's doing that as the film is going on, all right? Mm. And he's got a bucket of popcorn and he's eating his popcorn and it's like, you know, and you can see his shivering. You can see it's scaring him. And we get to the scene where there's um, the the Marines come into the room, and there's all these dead aliens in glass tubes in liquid. Mm-hmm. And they look in each one, and and of course, what happens when they look in the last one? There's a face hugger in there, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. and it and it's you. So what happens with this guy? <laughs> get to this stage, face hugger. He clenches his legs together. And there's a big bucket of popcorn between it. The popcorn goes up like an atomic bomb, like a mushroom cloud, <laughs> up in the air and just falls over everyone around. <laughs> it's just, it was wonderful to see. It actually looked like an atomic explosion as he clamped his legs together on this big bucket of popcorn. Up he went. <laughs> and I love, uh, sorry, uh, I, that's my favorite alien story. When when I see that, <laughs> it just, I just, uh, pieces me up. But cinema, I mean, again, you know, to a lot of people nowadays, cinema is, is you know, it's it's a room with 50 seats in it and the screen at the end. Because yeah. that's what the, that's what the multi, you know, the UCI or the ODN or the View Cinema, that's what it is. Mm. You know, cinemas are no longer, you know, theaters. Yes. With ornate. You know, it and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, where where I live, we've got an old cinema. It's still an Art Deco one. Um, it's been threatened with closure many times. It's done everything. You know, it's turned into a mecca and a bingo gala place, and uh, it's still the original cinema. It's got the largest screen in Essex. It's three pound fifty to watch a film, Bob. <laughs> um, but the owners have put it up for sale. Um, the lease with Cinema Drone, the people that are keeping this alive, their lease is going to come to an end in in, in a few years. And, um, you know, the local council, which sort of subsidised the building to keep it going, you know, as a, as a cultural place, uh, lovely cinema, I, I know it's going to go, Bob. It's going to disappear. And then there'll be a multiplex down the road where that'll be 15 quid to get in and watch something. And, yeah. um, you know, and, 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 that, and that'll be gone. But, you know, it's... Um, yeah, you know, I've been reading some of the things about the theatres in in Swansea and all that, where they show ind- <laughs> independent cinema and and all that, and there's still these places, but there there is nothing like that in Clacton, uh, where where I live. So like, you won't get you know a thirty mil showing a silent running or anything anytime soon. You know, you because it's got to wash its face, it will show the blockbuster, and then it might do some special sensory thing, you know, um, or, or something like that. But never never had the luxury of like going into an independent cinema and and watching something a little bit sort of like a uh, left field. You know, I've always been going to the blockbusters, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, it's, it's just you know. It's the spiral, declining spiral of you get to about 76, 77. Now, Star Wars was 77. Jaws was 76. You know, you've got, I think it was, or 75. Mm-hmm. Close Encounters was 77. Big, big, you know, what, what they call tentpole films. You know, you actually build around it. 
it's the kind of film, you know, with Star Wars, you know, you've seen the scene, you know, people queue in to get in for miles, you know, round and round and round mm. the block. So obviously 20th Century Fox who put the, the, the thing out, they can charge what they like. You know, if, if you want to, you know, you're a cinema, you want to rent Star Wars. Mm. Okay, how many zeros on the end of, you know, are we going to put, you know, it's like that. Because everybody made money out of Star Wars. Now, the smaller cinemas can't compete with that. They, they haven't got the money. So, you know, they can't attract the A films. They attract the B films. Mm -hmm. But you're now reaching a stage where people want to see the A films. They don't really want to see many B films. So less people come to see the B films. So now your income means you can't pay the rental to buy B films. You've got to buy C films. Mm. And round and round the spiral goes. It's it's a descending spiral. You can't, you know, you have a lucky week where you put on a rerun of something, of a big film, and people will come to see it. But, you know, you are in the realms of putting on, you know, Spanish horror double bills. You are, you know, let's put on two Jess Franco films. Let's put on, you know, a reissue of this and a reissue of that. And um, that's kind of what killed off the smaller cinemas. They couldn't afford... Star Wars, for want of a, to you know, to make it oversimplification, mm, mm, they mm. couldn't afford Star Wars, but they could afford Step to and Sunride again. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. And uh, which one are you going to see on the weekend? Oh, this is it. Yeah, it's like yeah, <laughs> you you're going to go Star Wars, aren't you? you every I've time. seen Step, I've seen Step to and Sunride again in the cinema anyway. So, and I've seen Step to and Sun. <laughs> That <laughs> <laughs> was a great series, anyway, wasn't it? That, that started out as a play for today, didn't it? I think Step Toe and Son. Yeah. Yes, it was one of one of about uh, half a dozen. They t they put them out as as uh, I think uh, Warren uh, Alf Garnett was one of them as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But they try they try that's something they don't do anymore as well. I mean, you know, Ronnie Barker open all hours, and I think Porridge were part of a, a six, you know, a six pack that he did. Yeah. Mm. Uh, plus the one about a Welsh. A, the Welsh photographer, and he and he did um, removals guy as well, didn't he? Get a move on, he said. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And he did going straight as well. I think when he sort of came out as a as a follow on to Porridge, I think as well. So yeah, yeah, they're, they're very good. I watched a good play for today. Actually, it was on, on YouTube. I think it was Truth Benders or something like that, where the guy is going in. He's being recruited to work for the government to do the stories. It's nineteen sixty eight. And uh, he's been recruited to do the stories for 1973. <laughs> but but, but the, the great thing in it is that he'd been implanted. They knew of this guy because he'd been implanted with a bug that tells the central computer everything that he does, everything that he says. <sighs> and, of course, it's bloody, bloody Alexa, isn't it? <laughs> Can't say it too loud. <laughs> there was an American series called Search Control. Mm. That uh, was a similar thing where you had these agents and they had implants in them so that they could be monitored back at control. I think Burgess Meredith was I, uh, either in control or one of there were th I think it was two or three different agents and every episode they'd have a different agent starring. Mm. Um, mm. And it was the idea of, you know, the fantastic idea of computers and, uh, yeah, Alexa, basically. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. Well, Google, <laughs> Google hadn't been invented then. <laughs> yeah no it, it, one thing and one thing that runs up in my podcast bob whenever i do talk about films i always end up talking about uh war games for some reason i think it's because of the hack culture in it and all that but um do you have any thoughts about war games at all do you mean the you know the the, the shall we play a game war games yeah no, 1983 matt bodrick yeah because you've got the you know the british 
the British, the one that was banned for decades, you know. Oh, right. Well, yeah. What was the one that was, was that about nuclear war? Was that the, was that the war games one you're thinking about? Yeah. Um, well, you've got the, the um, Matthew Broderick one is, is the American one, you know, the Whopper and all that. Shall we play, shall we play a game? You know, that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and I think you had, what was it? It was Peter. See, this is, this is why you shouldn't trust me because I don't know, you know, um, and, and the weird thing is, I was I was just reading about this about two days ago. Um, please forgive me if I got the wrong name. It was a British, the BBC did it. Mm. And um, it was what's going to happen if a nuclear bomb hits Britain. Mm. And basically, you know, shit is going to happen and we're going to show you everything. You know, we're going to show you the fact that, you know, people's eyeballs are going to boil. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and it got banned for decades. It wasn't allowed to be shown because it was just too frightening. Mm. You know, the, then they did uh, threads. I mean, that was a kind of an, uh, an updated version of that. That was another one. I think, yeah, I think that's threads that I'm thinking about. I think there's a VT there of, a, of the, the the nuclear attacks coming and uh, people are really panicking big time. I think I think that's the threads one that I'm thinking of. That's uh yeah, there's that as well. But um, yeah, so that's the that's the war games. But yeah, the war games. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so war games. Whopper. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's stylized really. It's like you know, it's it is about hacking when hacking actually, you know, I use the phrase you know hacker ethic. Hacking used to be was it was a wasn't a pejorative term. It was a term where you hacked a program to do something. Not you didn't break into something to do it it was i have a program in front of me perhaps you wrote it mm. i'll hack it so that instead of you know it, it's it, it's quicker i'll hack it so that it's smaller there you are hack your program that was hacking mm. and then hacking became oh well i'm going to break into a system and i'm going to change it you know and i'm going to hack the system so what broderick does in that i mean you know it's it's oversimplified really let's be honest i mean one of the things something i learned about war games is because broderick couldn't type right what they did was they on computers i don't know if it's on the i can't really remember on the spectrum on the trsad there was something called in key in key dollar yes which was like input input you have to type in a word and then press enter in key waits for you to press a key yes yeah so what they did was they set up a little program that what you saw on the screen Every time he pressed a key, it printed up one of the letters. Mm. So it didn't matter what key he typed. Yeah? Yeah. Didn't matter. Up would come, you know, break in, lock in, ask for a password, hash, you know, whatever it was. So he's banging away at the keyboard and all this. <laughs> yeah. So he just go tap, 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 tap. And every time he pressed a key, up would come a letter. So he pressed P and up would come I. Up, you know, <laughs> press P again, up would come N, you know. <laughs> so they faked the whole thing. <laughs> But he couldn't type, couldn't take yeah. that fast. Yeah. Well, there's a meaty trick there, and also what I liked with a lot of the, um, not just uh, war games, but I think this turned up in another one of his films as well. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Who was the guy that directed the whole canon of those films? John Hughes. John Hughes. So there's a, I think he's he's sort of a closet hacker, I think, because he does he deals with computers in a few of his um in in a few of his films, but each computer he uses has got this amazing thing where it goes, 
every time you type something in, it's got this lovely noise. And like, yeah, and like every time you type something in, you, you hear the, the, the letters come up on the screen. And uh, it always makes me die because, like, I mean, you know, like the, the TRS-80 doesn't have any sound. <laughs> well, it's a, I mean, yeah, and then there's Jurassic Park where they type in a computer and you see reflected on their face. Yeah, yeah. What kind of screen have they got? Was it lasers? <laughs> no, they go for a like, yeah, government eye test after that, wouldn't they? Like, you know, for God's sake, forget about forget about high, you know, energy levels. This stuff is beaming stuff. You know, you can see it bouncing off their face. But <laughs> <laughs> what Star Trek film uh, features a TRS eighty? Oh, I'll, I'll, is it going to be sort of like a level two TRS eighty? Is it going to be Voyager or something like that? It's Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan, right? Yes. It actually, it actually, the computer displays mm. were written using a TRS-80, and I have the program. Oh, right. Okay. I have the program that generated them on cassette. Mm -hmm. It's at the end where Spock is spoiler dies. <laughs> uh, no, you know he's wow. put in the. Um, I was going to watch that. Uh, yeah. He's putting the cover back on the, you know, the squishy, squishy stuff, you know, the you know, the dilithium crystals, whatever. And then it cuts up to the bridge and it says something like nominal, you know, you get a screen come up and it says nominal, blip, 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 and, and that's all TRS-80. It's all written with a TRS-80. And uh, you see some, it's, you know, it's all black and white stuff. Mm -hmm. Um but it, it was done with a terrace. What always got me, though, was at the, if you watch, uh, are you a fan of John Wick? Um, I think I've watched a, one or two of the films of John Wick. Is that, yeah, he's like, um, that murders a lot of people. Keanu Reeves, yes. I mean, at the end of John Wick 2, he's classed as, you know, there's a contract out on him. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the girl typing the contract, you know, it's a, it's a Commodore 64. <laughs> it is a you can see it. It is a Commodore sixty. I don't know why, but uh, you know, up it comes and and you know, is now incommunicado. Yes, about you on his head, ten million or something. And <laughs> it's it's a Commodore sixty four. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And there's the thing in um, was it where uh, the Terminator when you see his boot up sequence in the first film? I think that's from an Apple two. I think that that bit where the where they do the viewing uh, where you can see his vision. And he's got all the scrolling um, numbers and the analysis that's going on while he's looking at things. And I think that was a 6502 assembly language or something like that for the Apple II. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite quite incredible when when you see those sort of things coming up. But, um, yeah, it, it's uh, the reason I asked about um, hackers was because it's like 1983 was the in an article I read uh, from realhackhistory.com, I think it was. And um, it was just really interesting because it was... Um, it was the year that hacker came into common parlance mm. and you also had hack groups. And then when war games came out, that's when like it got the, the movie going public got their first fear of computers, you know, before it was flying saucers and robots. But you know, when it was just like geeky kids who could run everything from, from a computer in their bedroom, it just sort of like it, it, it changed the uh, psyche of the uh, of, of the viewing public, especially in the US, apparently, you know, that's when it all sort of uh, not not because of the film, but the film may have been sort of like a, a way to get the the whole notion of that sort of electronic vandalism in in into the uh, common parlance, you know. Well, you know, you know the story or the the legend of Sinclair, Clive Sinclair, sort of advertising the ZX eighty one as being able to run a nuclear power station. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> again, that that's I, I say legend because it's one of those stories everyone knows, mm. but there doesn't seem to be any advert that says it. There, there's a weird thing. It's it's an American belief that we all share certain memories, mm. but there's no proof of it. Is that the Streisand and the Mandela effect? No, 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 no. The straight no, the Streisand effect is when you bring attention to something right. and it just makes it worse. You know, Barbara Streisand's house. That's that's what it's named after. It's this idea that we're in the matrix mm. and portions of it are being rewritten, but not perfectly. Mm. So, you know, everyone can remember you know Captain Pugwash. Yes. There you go. This is a good one. Captain Pugwash, right? Everyone can remember that he had characters in there called Seaman Staines, Roger the Cabin Boy. No, he didn't. You can watch all the Captain Pugwashes and there isn't. But I can remember, I have a memory, a vivid memory when I saw that and I thought they've, ch- well, as a kid, and they've changed the names. He he wasn't, he was, uh, there was three of them. There was, as I said, Seaman Staines, Roger the Cabin Boy, and there was another one, I can't remember. But was it Oliver Postgate, I think, did it? You know, he's denied that it ever happened. But everyone remembers it. Ah, so you're not saying it's a false memory. It's a memory that's been... Erased, but not quite erased. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not, not that I... I, I mean, I'm, if I'm coming off as sounding as a wacko, no, I don't believe that at all. Sorry, no, I'm just saying <laughs> that, you know, these are what some of these crazy Americans believe. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's a belief, something like the, the Sinclair, you know, you can power and, you know, you can run a nuclear power station with a ZX-81 or ZX-80, perhaps. But not a Spectrum, obviously. No, I'd be, I'd be stupid, you know. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> what what I think's happened on that is one of them things where there, there, there's, there's room in the theory to make everybody happy. I think that what's happened is it's been on Tomorrow's World and they've gone, oh, and this marvellous little thing that plugs in the television could run a nuclear power station. And it was an, it was an item with a ZX-80 in it. And then... We're, we're our own worst enemy. We then get Commission Channel 5 to do the greatest things that happened in 1981 documentary. Yes, yeah. They then just go on YouTube, scrape the top of it, and then they get these talking heads in that have watched exactly the same thing a minute ago and go, oh, do you remember the ZX-81 that could run a nuclear power station? And then all of a sudden it gets re-remembered. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, just constant, you know, someone, yeah, it must be true because it was on, you know, 100 greatest thing from the 70s. One thing, one thing that really, really annoys me, and I, and I don't know, if you've got a CD, mm. game, music, you will see the instructions on it, and it is always, you know, don't touch the surface, handle by the edges, mm. you know, please be careful. When they showed it on Tomorrow's World, it literally was Judith Hand picking up a CD and spreading jam on it. Yes, yes, yeah. Then putting it in water, giving it a good dry, you know, I should dry. Then bringing it out with a towel, giving it a throw the towel, then putting it in and going, and the music plays perfectly. Yes. Bloody jam! <laughs> don't don't touch the surface thing, you know. Any don't put your finger within an inch of the surface, otherwise you've destroyed it. And there she is, she's slapping jam on it. When did that change? When did CDs become this thing? You Indestructible. Know? I mean, yeah. see, it's not vinyl. I think that's what she was trying to say <laughs> there. But there is a big issue. I mean, you said earlier about laser discs in your collection and your movie collection. The uh, CD rot actually exist, where like parts of the CD will fall away. Yeah, I mean, I a friend of mine gave me a load of, well, let's be honest, copies of of um, 
PS1 games, PlayStation 1 games. Backups. Exactly. Backups, backups. of all the games they ever owned. Very important backups. In case Sony lose them, you're doing them a favour. And, um, yeah, you can hold them up. You can see the rock. You can hold them up to the light and you can just see gaps. Mm-hmm. And not near the edge or anything, you know, just right in the, you know, just blobs. Just you can see straight through the, you know, that whatever was there is now not there anymore. Where it's gone, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's gone. I mean, cassette tapes used to shed, you know. Do you remember that? They they just come away from the back and the iron oxide would just part with the mylar or whatever, the, the cellophane or whatever they were using. For the... Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it would go clear. You would just see the brown stuff come away, I think, and it would just, yeah, it looked like a mottled. I don't know. I mean, CDs, yes, yeah, they do rot. They do. I don't know about laser disc. You had laser disc rot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing. I've got a Pioneer LaserDisc player, but you know, I'm not going to hook it up to try and get it to work to see what happens. But yeah, it does. It does I don't know about DVDs and Blu-rays. They probably will go the same way at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. also something to do with the way that they're stored as well, because um, I had a few CD singles back in the day, and if they're in cardboard envelopes, apparently that's not good for them because of the material that's in the in in the cardboard can react with something that's in the CD. And that was and that was something mentioned to me back when I was buying these CD things. And we thought, oh, well, whatever, you know, we're not going to be, we're not, not going to be alive in 2025, you know, and, uh, and all that, you know, to, to enjoy these, you know. So I'm wondering if uh, if there was anything with that, the, the way that they're stored, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, there are a couple of CD, um, you know, imagined you know there was still you know you had to you had to use a a pen you had to get a blue pen and put it around you know draw a a blue ink marker around the edge of a cd because that stopped the light from escaping or something Uh, and there was uh (laughs) you know there was a i think there was a debate do you store your cds flat or on you know on side Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, does that make a difference? I mean, there were, you know, there were a few stories about CDs. I mean, it, it's about anything really, but even I mean, cassette Spectrum games, any cassette type games, Commodore, they're rotting. You know, they're they're dying. You know, machines and capacitors are drying out in boards left, right, and centre. It's going. It's uh, technology is is unless it's looked after, it's just mm. gone. You know. Yeah, and it, and as alluded to earlier, no, they're built on a toy specification. A lot of these, you know, they're built as a specification for kids to use and things like that. They're not; they were never expected to to last forever. And uh, you know, your power supply units for for you know Commodore sixty fours. Everyone's urged now to you know get them recapped or get a modern supply because it can cause havoc with an old computer and things like that. And there's a, you just sort of like as a, as a computer owner of a, of an older system, you get what well, I think they call it. Was it archive panic? You know, you think, Oh, well, if this one fails, I need another backup, you know, just in case that one fails and I need to get that recapped and the heat shrinks all, all glued to the top of the things just to future proof it and all that. And it's like, you know, you, you can, you can really go to the um, m- m- degree with, um, yeah. with all this stuff. Certainly. Well, I, I switched on a you know an original Game Boy last week and nothing happened. No, so I've got to look up. You know, yeah, it'll cost me thirty three pound to have it repaired if I want it working. But it's it's just gone. You know, I think that's um it's a shame really with retro stuff like that. I mean, I've got an old Pong type game mm. 
literally a blip, 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 you know which is you which is not even you know you two people it's a grandstand it's an old grandstand thing you know that doesn't work anymore i don't know why probably the capacitors just died or something but is it worth keeping Mm, again i said you know as i touched on before is that the sense of getting older and what's going to happen you know what is going to happen to everything you see behind you what's going to happen to everything i see behind you you Mm, know mm, mm. sorry i'm not wishing any ill on you but uh, you know there is uh, so how old are you can i ask how old you are uh yeah i'm 48 now so, oh, there you are. I'm yeah. 64, so yeah. you know. Oh, you're but, you're 64, and I'm 48, so I'm the Spectrum, and you're the Commodore. You see? Ah, no, I am six five five three six. I am. <laughs> I I am fully 16 bit addressable. Thank you. No, eight bit addressable. Sorry, eight bit addressable. <laughs> I, I I am eight bit addressable. Thank you very much. But um, no, I mean, I, at some point you've got to realize that stuff you've been keeping 20 30 40 years you know or whatever in my case and not not obviously not yours yes some of it is but most of it is junk it's dilemmas i think and most of it's not going to work not, you know most of it's not going to work i remember i don't know what happened with xboxes the original xbox they were for a while cash converters were selling for 19 quid or something i know they've I don't know. They threw the roof. The price of them—it's yeah. ridiculous. I went to a cash converters <laughs> to. Um, I went to a cash converters and he gave me an Xbox. <laughs> he gave me an Xbox. He says I can't get rid of it. You know, do you do you want to yeah. take it? And I said, yeah, okay. So he says got no power supply and all that. It's actually in the machine behind me that you see. It's running Mamo X. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's actually in a, in an arcade machine. And but again, I get archive panic with that. I think, oh, one day I won't be able to turn it on. And then what would I have to do? I'd have to get another system and put Mame on that. I I resoldered some PlayStation joysticks to the controls on the arcade machine, and then got a converter from a PlayStation to an Xbox and plugged it into the Xbox. So it all plays nicely. It's all optimized to the TFT screen that I put in and all that. I made it narrower so it fits in my room easier because it's a slimmer model. I love it, and um, I can't tell you the last time I turned it on, Bob. You know, it's, <laughs> you know. So what? You know, what's it for? That's that was the one. You know, that's the question I ask myself mm. a lot of things. What are you keeping it for? Mm, mm, mm. No, um, it's, it's sunny. Yeah, it's like you know, I broke that Jupiter race when I was younger. I'm never going to make that mistake again. You know, and it's. Uh, but I listen to a lot of podcasts with people and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm back in the TRS-80. I sold my first one, but I bought one back recently, you know. So I'm thinking, yeah, this is a mistake that everybody makes. And actually, if you did keep it, you know, keep the first one from young, you, you're either very lucky or um, or didn't know you had it, you know, because <laughs> because you do go through things. I mean, my, my son collects football shirts and um, he, he berates me for the ones that I threw away, you know. He goes... You had this particular England shirt. You bought it from Mick McMill Sports for ten quid. I said, "Yeah, yeah," and uh, I threw it in the street when we got knocked out of the <laughs> of, of, of the World Cup. Which one, you know? But you know, and then I used the, you know, and I threw it away. I charity shopped it off, never thinking that somebody else in my family would be into football shirts, you know. And, and yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, turns out very sought after, Bob. <laughs> the ones that I got rid of, very sought after. You know, so. Well, I, I had a year before last, I put up a copy of CMVG issue one on eBay. Oh, right. Yeah. With, uh, with, with the game that came with it, with the puzzle game that came with it. And um, I looked to see what the prices were. And I think one had gone for something like £50. 
I thought, okay, all right, I can, fair enough. I'll put that up for forty pounds, and um, it went mental. You know, it went for it went for two hundred and sixty quid. No, really? Wow! And the guy yeah. who bought it, oh, the guy, the guy who bought it, I you know, messed with after he paid and everything. He he said, oh, I've just gone through my collection and I've got one already. Oh no! <laughs> Too late. All things final. Goodbye. He's, yeah, he's, he's got two. He's got two. No, yeah. Yeah. So you know, that's yeah. that's you know, what do they call it? FM, FOMO, fear of fear yeah. of losing, yeah. you know, fear of missing, fear of missing out. out. Yeah, FOMO. And yes. it's like. I've got to see, you know, so that is, you know, that magazine, fair enough. But what about that magazine? I mean, I've got a stack of, I've got PCWs and personal computers going back 1977. Mm. And you think, oh, are they worth, are they worth anything? Yeah, you know, well, let's have a look, you know, like three quid, four quid, five yeah. quid or something. And it's like, well, they're not exactly in pristine condition either. You know, it's a, going back to, you know, the corgi cars and dinky cars. As long as you bought a magazine and didn't read it and put it in a plastic bag, which is, what happens with comics nowadays? Yeah, you know, yeah. people will buy two comics, one to read, one to put aside, because they're going to sell it in a couple of years. Yeah, they're going to immerse it in plastic and 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 all sorts, aren't they? You know, they're going to uh, yeah, and grade it, and that was a, uh, you know, the, the, it, go, it, go, it goes mad. But yeah, I, I picked up. Um, I looked on like uh, I type in ZX Spectrum from time to time on Facebook Marketplace, and it said Spectrum magazines. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and get them, you know, 10 quid. And I got um, Sinclair User issues 1 to 11, I've got. You know, I've got them, and I'm going, that's great. And I go, oh, I, I could I could sell them. And I'm thinking, who who wants to buy Sinclair User issue 1? You can what you can go on archive.org and, and, get, and, and read it if you want to. I guess it's a nice thing to have. But then if I sold it, how much would that cost me to buy that again, Bob? It would be a wasted exercise, you know. It's just sort of like I'd much rather have it, and 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 I, and I do read them a lot, actually. I do, I do. I've I find the styles of reading and uh, uh, and the styles of writing rather, um, you know, quite quite different to to some of the junk that, that I read in like modern magazines, you know. So I, I do, I like them, I do like them. But yeah, you do pick these things up from time to time, and uh, you know, I won't start collecting your Sinclair because there's about. 90 issues of that and you know yeah, it's a lot yeah yeah it's a hell of a lot of those and there's there's too many you know and it's and about, um, and about 89 of them are crap yeah so <laughs> did you ever speak to um journalists at that place because uh, i always remember that there was a guy called marcus Burtman, and i recognized his name because he used to write for spitting image as well no i was uh we did a thing once with uh julian jazz rignall Oh, right, yeah. I don't know if that name re- means anything. That does, yeah. We were writing the gate. It was when I was in America, and they'd run some kind of competition in a magazine, you know, talk to the programmers. So we did this thing, you know, over the phone to America, you know, and it was me and Julian Jazz Rignall, and uh, that's how I always remember. But no, that, I mean, no, no one ever, you know, the, apart from people who came down to take pictures of us making fools of ourselves when we were in, in Fairham climbing trees and out in the garden at the back. That was the only, that was the only publicity, that, you know, that, as I said, it, you know, they didn't care. It didn't matter once it got to a certain stage. When you were doing 8-bit stuff, you were a personality, mm. not just Spectrum. Look at the mm. Commodore 64, you know, Tim, even the musicians. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, Tim Fallin and, and yeah. Rob Hubbard and, and all them. Rob yeah. Hubbard, you know, stuff like that. They, they were names. You knew what they, you know, what console games has Rob Hubbard done, you know? 
But you could say, well, he did, you know, what games did he do in the Commodore 64? Oh, he did, you know, even I don't know. Oh, he did Iridium. I think he did uh, Wiz. I don't know if he did Wizball. But you can start naming names. You know, you can make an like, educated guess at it. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. um, yeah, it, it just went. It, it, it's kind of the opposite, you know, the, you know, the whole idea behind adventure, you know. The game, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, you know, the which is the basis of the film and the book Game Over, isn't it? The idea that this is programmers are anonymous, and he's the first person to put his name in a game. You know, you have to go through, you know, collect this that, and it's going back to the early films where the film companies didn't want you to know who the actors were, so they never put their names up. Oh, you know, right. so someone would be the Biograph Girl, mm, mm, and that mm. would be it, and then. That's what games started out as. You, we don't want to put the names of David Crane, you know, in our games. We don't want to put Warren, Ro you know, uh, Warren Robinette or whatever, you know, because if other companies know who he is, then they'll steal him away from us, you know. So yeah, they become commodities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then you know it's slowly changed, and then you've got people's names are more important than the game, which I said it was fine. I mean, if you know you were you bought a Pete Molyneux game, you knew what you were getting. It was a good, going to be a good game. It was going to be a complicated game. Yeah, and it's the same with, with uh, you know, others. Didn't stop whoever wrote E.T. for the Atari 2600. I can't remember who that was, but uh, I know he was quite a well-known coder. He had about six weeks to do it. But generally, you know, and then it's gone from that. You, 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 could, you could tell people who, you know, if you could say a Spectrum game, a Z, you know, a, a Condor. I'm only going to use those two. I'm not going to say BBC or a Vic 20 or something like that. Those were the two industry leaders. So I'm using those as an example rather than, you know, any kind of bias against anything, you know, who wrote Auric Atmos games, you know, that thing. But who wrote Highway, you know, Highway Encounter, Costa Partner. Uh, Costa Pastanakis or whatever his name was. At least I can make an attempt. I know it was, you know, I know it was that. Look at, you know, who wrote Exelon? Who wrote, you know, who, who, you can name names. You can name programs. You can name graphic artists. You can name musicians. Yeah. And then and, we get and, to the, you know. And, and you can tell the uh, graphic style by yeah. by looking at the pixel and going, that's like an ultimate style pixel you know it's got to be from that software house and, and things like that and uh you know you mark mark jones and mark r jones and, and you know your pixel artists you could see that there's a certain style coming into the games as well yeah because i think ultimate did they go in was did they become rare games or something like that and they did goldeneye and uh because they did yeah. an easter egg uh in goldeneye for the n64 where you could play saber wolf for the ZX Spectrum. And I'm just wondering how many people in the United States of America are playing their N64s, you know, have suddenly discovered this game for something that probably didn't even really get much traction out, you know, out in the States, you know, unless they had a Timex or something like that. And you're thinking <laughs> that was probably the, the crossover from, from like, a, you know, 16-bit, 8 16-bit free freedoms to going into the corporate world that they put that in as an easter egg and you know i don't know how many more are, are like that but um you know vice city i think is uh very similar to that because whenever i speak to uh you know my son who played it a lot you know he he will know music that i listened to on episode 80s he'll know the words to it and all that and he'll go <laughs> yeah well, that's because if you get in this car and you play the radio you know it plays that song it plays automatic by you know <laughs> and, and all that you know and he'll know some of the computer games who go oh yeah, yeah that's a commodore 64 style uh you know thing and you go we well, played any commodore 64 now nah. 
nah, no, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, you walk in my room and, and you would see one set up and he, he would just go, it's just an old computer, mate, you know. <laughs> but, you know, he, he'll know the, he'll know games for it because he's, he's had them as secret in-play games on, on the, uh, you know, the modern generation ones that he's playing on the... He's got a PC now, but it was like an Xbox, I think, at the time. Xbox 360X or something like that. But uh, I'm going to sound like an old man now. But, uh, yeah. But it's strange. That, uh, oh, no. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do hate them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do get... Um, they, they, they become aware of these things, but not 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 through the way that, you, that you're thinking you're teaching them. Well, I think, you know, I think I made my feelings about magazines mm. kind of well-known. And, you know, really genuinely, you know, I'm I'm sitting writing R-Type and Carl is doing the ST version and the magazines are going on about the sound and giving it, six, you know, giving it six out of ten for sound. And there's nothing been written for it yet. <laughs> and, Carl, and there's nothing there. You know, I'm looking across the room at Carl, you know, thinking, well, what's he, has he done the sound? And, we, you know, <laughs> while, while I was in the toilet or something, well, what, what's going on here? You know, and it was just like, oh, you know, oh yeah, six out of ten. It's an average mark. It's got, you know, it covers all bases, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah it sounds like we know what we're doing. And some of the reviews, you think you're reading a review, and you read it, and it's the instruction manual. Mm. Mm. Genuinely, I think it, I think it might have been. No, oh, it's one of them, Ace or or Games Machine or one of them. It's it is quite literally a, a rewrite of the instruction manual. Mm. Yeah. There is nothing in there apart from, I think, a paragraph or a little bit at the end, you know, that goes with a little bit of personal stuff in it. But it's just, you know, and then you pilot the plane and you shoot this and you have to pick these up. And, you know, <laughs> the word count is going up and up and up and up. Yeah, and then yeah. by the time you get to the and it's a multi-level load and it is that and the other. And then it's that's the end of the page. <laughs> I got paid for doing that. Yeah, they, they go. Oh, and uh, the the key press choices were absolutely marvelous in the game. Where pressing Q to quit was so intuitive. <laughs> I pressed space and the game paused. <laughs> well, like I mean, I think I, I think I actually got a criticism somewhere because um, define the keys, press enter to start, and, and you weren't. Oh, can't you can't select the enter key because as soon as you, you know when you redefine the keys, as soon as you select enter as one of the keys you want to press, the game starts or something. Yeah. So oh, it's a it's a drawback. You can't select enter. Who, who uses what? enter to? <laughs> who uses enter? It's a sadist. It's an absolute sadist. It's like, but then that's the angle, isn't it? That's the oh well, you know, I've I must have reviewed it because yeah, nobody else has said that you. I wanted to press the enter key as as the fire fire button, you know, and it's um, yeah, so it's it's really really strange, isn't it? And that yeah, giving uh, Cole like six out of ten for his non-existent music. That's either brilliant because you know that like the, the <laughs> silence was absolutely brilliant, or um yeah, or or they're just just clutching at straws. And it, it's uh, I, I guess it's um like a is it like it's a press release, isn't it? They they're just reviewing a press release, I guess. Well, what it is, I mean, with the thing with the magazines, you, you may have noticed this with with early computer magazines, is that they well two things first off the date if you bought a magazine in january it said february or march on it mm. the idea being that if we put the dates forward it sounds like you know why buy january's your sinclair when you can buy february's crash mm. you know even though they came out on the same day mm. you know don't don't read last month's this is the new we are breaking the news this is it and the other thing is as Again, it, I don't know why I'm the only one who's ever picked this up. And it's when you get someone like Ollie Frey who's got to do cover art for Crash, 
Mm. They go to Ollie, or they went to Ollie's, no longer with us, unfortunately, you know, and they would say, we would need a cover for whatever, you know, we need a cover for Nemesis, we need a cover for this. And Ollie would go away and paint it or draw it or whatever. And it took a while. Mm. You know, it's not something you can say, can we have it by tomorrow? Yeah, it's yeah. it's a work of art, you know, Ollie Frey stuff and other things, you know, exactly. but particularly I'm going with Ollie Frey because it's proper real artwork. Well, people know when when you say Ollie Frey, people can picture the crash and the and the Zap artwork. Yeah, yeah. So how come these magazines knew that every game that they were going to review that Ollie was going to draw something for was going to be on the cover and a Crash Smash? Because mm. they never put a game on the front that wasn't a Crash Smash. So it's like, well. Do you think they knew, you know, they picked one and they said, oh, well, you know, it's, it is going to be a crash smash. You know, Outrun. I mean, I think Outrun, I don't think Oliver Freed did Outrun, but, you know, it's been on a few front covers. Mm-hmm. But no one ever put a, a piece of shit on the front cover. It was always a great <laughs> game. It was always a smash, a Yor Sinclair mega game or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. However, the cover had to be drawn. You know, forget about the lead time of the magazine. Forget that. It's the lead time for the artist. Yeah. It's like, we, you know, our type is coming. I think, no, no, we didn't get it. No, Ollie, no, got Rampage. Yeah, I've got two crash covers by Ollie Frey. One was Rampage, one was Tusker. God knows how that got it. But um, <laughs> how do they know that they must have put the order into Oliver Frey two months ago or something, mm. or a month ago? Because he's not sitting there waiting to be told, you know, waiting by the phone. Well, oh, I've got some work to do. I better do it. You know, Oliver Frey was a busy man. It wasn't just magazines he was doing. We all know what else he was doing, but that's up to him. You know, he had the schedules. He had a workload. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But funnily enough, every game on the front cover was a smash, and it was brilliant, and none of them was shit. And But Outrun appeared on a Yor Sinclair, or Sinclair user front cover. Mm. Stuff like Nemesis, you know, yeah, play Nemesis, it's great. You know, yeah, which version of Nemesis are we playing? Nemesis the Warlock. No, 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 no. Ne- <laughs> no, I know, but that was the other one, wasn't it? That, I think Nemesis the Warlock actually got on a front cover of a Yes, Yeah. Jace Austin did. Jace did that. Yeah. yeah. Me and Jace worked together a few times. All right. Yeah. We, well, we did R-Type DX together. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, the thing with the, the, the scandal with Konami's version of Nemesis on the Spectrum, mm. the, the sneak peek versions and everything like that, bore no resemblance to what was actually in the game you know and he, mm. there's there's a website it, it actually breaks it the whole thing down and eventually they realize what you were looking at were just artwork mm. someone had just drawn some demo screens you know yet here it is here's the here's a fantastic nemesis front cover it's a mega game it's a this <laughs> <laughs> something yeah. who did um who did black and white um Peter Molyneux, Pete Molyneux. Mm. I mean, he knew he knew some of the scams. He wrote some of that. He wrote about some of the scams they used to, the magazines used to, and the games used to. And one of the big ones was you got all the magazines, you know, everyone down to get a game, and he basically got them drunk and got them pissed off their heads. Mm-hmm. Or you, you know, <laughs> you shipped them out to the Caribbean or something, literally. And yeah. you know, and it would be a case of they were so drunk you could tell them anything and they'd write anything. Alleg- Sorry, allegedly, I have to say, just in case anyone is listening, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that was Pete Molyneux's uh, take on it. You know, he, he did yeah. write about the, the magazine scams. 
yeah yeah all right okay so but that was um i think that was a tactic well that's attributed to the japanese in the 80s as well they used to get the western <laughs> the westerners over to see the factory which was like you know a factory in an osaka that made guttering or something i don't know yeah they they needed the deal you know so what they would do is they would rather than negotiate they'd get their western visitors like wined and dined um serviced in any way that they wanted to be um satisfied right up to the last two hours of the visit basically and of course they'd be hung over hanging tired and they wouldn't have negotiated anything at all so the so the japanese or you know the the business that invited them over would say these are the terms and the people <laughs> just didn't they they'd run out of time they had no negotiating they go yeah okay they're the terms and and that was it so it's a tactic where you eat up your um your counterparts time and then they just say yes at any cost just to get them on the plane back home and that's always been quite uh yeah that, that that's one that i've always uh sprung to mind as well and I, th I think i've seen it happen in real life in an industry i used to work in myself actually you know so yeah I, yeah I've, I've seen something similar i was when i worked in the theater we uh someone hired out one of the rooms uh for for a wine tasting Mm. Well, actually, it was wine selling, and they invited a lot of business people, you know, people with money. It wasn't, mm. you know, it, the mm. tickets were quite, what well, the idea was, um, everyone sat around and said, here's a bottle of white, have a taste, if you like it, put an order in. You know, it was that kind of thing. Here's a bottle of red, if you like it, put an order in. Yeah. Only they just kept the bottles coming and coming and coming <laughs> until at the end, I mean, you know, they, they gave away a load of bottles, but at the end, people were just par paralytic they're buying crates and crates, yeah. You know, and they were leaving. I was work. I worked that evening up there, and you know, people were couldn't get down the stairs unless someone held them up. But uh, they sold so much wine there, and that was the that was the idea. Just get them so drunk off their heads on free, you know, yeah. wine taste in my ass, you know, glug glug glug, <laughs> get it down. Yeah. Um, and then our job at the end then was once they'd all gone home was to clear up all the bottles and things, and it was like. We it was we were just pouring. They had half bottles of wine on the table that hadn't been drunk. You know, they were they were just so desperate to get onto the next one. Mm. You know, no one there was no sort of spitting. No, you know, oh, what an insouciant taste. You know, I, I'm getting wood. I'm getting licorice. <laughs> I'm getting ripped off. <laughs> it was cool. Right next. <laughs> But uh, yeah, <laughs> but that was the idea. Just get them, get them drunk, get them signed, you know. And they don't know what they're doing, mm, and yeah, you know. But yes, yeah, as you say, it's it's in it's in all all walks of life. And uh, why should computer magazines be any different? Yeah, you know? um, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your spectrum. Big, I've got all of them. They're only 19 issues to collect on a your spectrum. And the magazine covers on them are um, generic. You know, there's a. It's more about the, the computer than it is about the games. Yeah. Because it was done in the very early, uh, very early years, and I think your Sinclair users like that. And you know, to start off with, it's like, oh, we'll do a piece about education. Oh, we'll have a picture of a school teacher on the front or something like that. You know. But then, when issue nineteen of your Spectrum finishes and at the end they go look out for your sinclair next month because we're repackaging first covers commando you know from elite and you could see straight away that things had changed like from, from like you know how to wire up um you know your 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 issue for sinclair 
to make it games load better with a soldering iron or something like that in the last issue yeah. to, to to the first issue of uh, your Sinclair, it went straight games, games, games. Um, you know, and there, there was a lot of um, programming all that in the back, you know, for assemblers and, and hex and things. But, you know, that, that took a real back seat and it was more like, like you say, you know, there was a games cover for each one and they're all going in competition with each other. So I guess you had Crash and uh, Sinclair user as well, you know, and they're all trying to show off their games but yeah it was a very it was a very distinct change well the first issue of crash is pretty much a catalog it's their catalog i mean they you know that's their company were a company selling games mm -hmm. and god knows what the count is the game count in that first issue must be hundreds mm. i mean you know they it's, it's getting a lot of good you know a lot of reviews what happens is at the start the magazines are, are calling the shots you know and uh there's no publicity there's no you know if you if you putting out a game doesn't matter who you are activision notion you know at the time you've got to go where the um publications are whether yeah where was it games master on tv that was it wasn't it yeah, yeah, there was no yeah. there was no internet um maybe you had fidonet on the dial-ups you know maybe i can't remember anything along to be honest along those lines so here were these magazines and you'd go to the magazine cap in hand you know please sir will please review my game you know mm -hmm. oh yes we shall do that and then as you say at some point the balance shifted the balance of power shifted mm. and it's the magazines who need the companies to supply them otherwise the customers you know you please give us this exclusive rights to your game so we can write about it so that people will buy our magazine and not games machine or something else because you know if we put your game on the cover and put exclusive mm -hmm. you know it works for newspapers it'll work for for you so yeah it, the balance changed the balance went from the magazines calling the shots mm -hmm. to you know needing the publishers to stay alive and of course once once that happens you've got all kinds of shenanigans going on you know it, it it's you know yeah well it's, what can you do well this is it i mean if you want to know if um you know what what magazines give ocean really good reviews you just look on the back cover of the magazine because it's normally a big ocean advert on the back <laughs> you normally open it up there's an ocean in in the middle um and you know that they're going to get you know favorable reviews uh yeah and yes. obviously go, going on to cover tapes and demos which um your r-type had a demo didn't it that went on the front of a cmvg it yeah, that had a demo, yes. Like all everything to do with Activision and other companies, you know, if you want it, you gotta buy it yourself. No one ever gave me free copies of anything yeah. apart. Yeah, contractually you get stuff at the end of a game. You know, it's in the contract, we will send you so many copies. But stuff like Activision, when I was doing Rampage, they said, Is there anything you want? And mm -hmm. I said, There's a there's a PC version of Rampage. Someone had uh, someone had sent it in on spec to America. This is you know, and they published it. It was a damn good version. Mm -hmm. And I said can I have a copy? Oh, yeah, we'll get you a copy. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Never saw that. You know, there was, a, as I say, there used to be this room, you know, all, all software houses had them. It was the merch room. Mm. You know, it was where you put the T-shirts the and you put the uh, the tote bags and stuff. Mm. And it was always locked. Yeah. You, see, you know, can I have a T-shirt? No. No, no. I'm writing the game. Yes. <laughs> no, can't have it. Can I have a bag? You know, can I have anything? Can I have a piece of software? No. No, no. 
Oh, you know, but you were a magazine. It'd be like, oh, you have a T-shirt, have another T-shirt. You know, the only, the only time I got an Activision T-shirt, the only ever time, and, you know, this is, I did Rampage, R-Type, Dragon Ball, I did three games for them. And the only time I got a, a T-shirt off them was when they shipped us over to the hotel in London when they were doing the, when they were pushing R-Type. And we had the tickets that sort of said we were, you know, bona fide guests and you had to treat us as if we were coming to buy, you know, 10,000 copies of the game. Mm. And then we get a bag, then we get a carrier bag with a T-shirt in, say an Activision, couldn't get one, but love no money. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Mm. You know, you know what I said about, sorry, just I, I've got to go on a, a little tangent here. You remember um, in the book, I talk about a Rampage jacket. Yes. There's a jacket they were given away. I mean, it was a lovely, lovely jacket. And, you know, as a programmer, no, you don't get one. It was just for the people working on the stand. And as I said before about tapestry, about, you know, I need to tie off the loose ends of my life. That always niggled me. Mm. Genuinely niggled me, really. And not saying this because it's something to say and it's, oh, it's, you know, it'll liven up the broadcast or the podcast. It really got in my throat you know it's stuck there and it's stuck there for years and i made my own jacket last year i made my own i bought a hoodie yeah a cheap hoodie for a tenner from premark or something and i got i got some vinyl and i got my cutter going and i made my own rampage jacket <laughs> and i've got one and i don't care it's finished that tapestry is now died yeah. off it doesn't worry me but what's that that's 1988 that's been getting you know from 1988 to 2023 that's been stuck in my throat and i've yeah. done something about it <laughs> so i can say thank you activision yeah i don't care anymore i've done it and you still have that um hoodie obviously you're never letting letting go of that I've still got it. I, I, I've still got it. Uh, where is it? Uh, I think it's hanging up somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I refuse to wear it outside. It's got, it's got the the flash from the rampage game, which is the three monsters and mm. the word rampage and the word Bally Midway over the over the pocket. Mm. And I don't think I've worn it out. I, I, I don't want to wear it out because people go, oh look, <laughs> like I got this Bob pipe. <laughs> oh yeah, it's because I'm world famous, you know. You know, I, I can't, I can hardly go down the street with someone saying, "Who the hell are you?" It's, <laughs> it's the guy from Carl's podcast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I've got a long memory when it comes to being slighted. You know, I will, I will get my revenge, even if it takes me thirty-five years. I will get my own back on these people. I don't care. Um, and. Uh... I'm dying to know, you know, you said you could mention the chapter of the book that didn't go in into it's behind you. Yeah, yeah. But you you put a health warning on it. You said, I didn't want to sully the whole whole interview. So it's it's been it's been bugging me. I, I, I need I need to know. I need to know what what you what you wrote. <laughs> well, I've got it here in front of me. I shall hold it up so you can see it. There it is. It's a page. It comes at the end of the book. It hasn't got anything as such to do with R-Type or Rampage. Um, what I'll do, if I tell you what the last line of the book is, of the, oh, sorry, of the, well, of the book, of the chapter, the last line is, from then on, writing computer games wasn't fun anymore. Right. So let me backtrack and put that in context. It was about four or five years after R-Type 
I'd been done. And since then, I'd gone on and done other Spectrum games. I'd left the Spectrum. I'd done Game Boy, Game Gear, Master System. And at that time, about then, I was working for a company in America called Tengen, mm-hmm. uh, which I think had something to do with Atari at some point. I think everyone had something to do with it. Yeah, I think they did um, Domark. They tied in with Tengen. Yeah, Yeah, they did um, Zybox and things like that. Yeah. So I was doing a a licensed uh, golf game, PGA Tour Golf. Mm -hmm. Actually, I did two. I did PGA Tour Golf and the aptly titled PGA Tour Golf 2. Anyway, because it was an American company and comms were pretty good, we were just sort of transatlantic, you know, working. And then they decided to come over and say hello and you know how's everything going so we decided to meet up in a place in london called the business design center in islington uh which at the time uh, uh, was hosting some kind of not a a computer show as such but more like a trade computer show so i went there and after the meeting i bumped into dave wainwright and carl jeffrey now dave was my boss a catalyst and Carl, as I said, was the author of um, Atari ST R-Type. And they seemed to be working together. We had a chat. It was not unpleasant. It was frosty. It was, you know, I know what you did. You know what I did. You know how I feel. I know how you feel. Hello. How are you? Kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Uh, you know, nothing. Anyway, that again, funny enough, that's got nothing to do with it. It was after I had the conversation. Now you gotta remember, I this is a hot day in in you know in summer, and I'd gone up in my jeans and my t-shirt, and I had my nap, you know, bag over my shoulder, and I realised there was something not right, and it took me a couple of minutes to work out what you know it's a feeling. Why, what's wrong with this picture, kind of thing? And what was wrong with the picture was that, as far as I could make out, I was the only person there in a t-shirt. Right. Everybody else was in a suit or in casual, you know, black trousers, black skirt, blow, white blows, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got a little messed up. It, it, it got to me and I thought, you know, it's weird. It's like, what am I? Is this the Twilight Zone or something? I walked around all the store, all the all the shows and I couldn't for the life of me find anyone else there mm. dressed like me. I couldn't see a programmer. I couldn't see a coder. Everyone there was selling something or buying something. And what you have to realize at this at this stage, when we're into consoles and the very start of CD-ROMs and things, they weren't even called games anymore. In the business, they were called SKUs. I don't know if you've ever come across that. SKUs. Have you ever? Do you know that acronym? I've heard of SKU codes. Yeah, SKU no, codes. No, no, no. SKU stood for Stock Keeping Unit. Right. So you didn't sell, you weren't buying games or selling games. You were buying stock keeping units and selling stock keeping units. And that's what this whole thing was. This whole thing in the business design center there was people selling and buying stock keeping units. And it's like they didn't give a, a shit about the games. Mm. You know, I left, I, I walked out and, you know, genuinely and honestly i'm looking i'm not you know i I can say this for effect you know i didn't see anyone there i was the only one i genuinely was the only one there and i looked and i looked and i looked because it was getting to me Mm. and that's what the last page is it's about the kind of death of writing games which used to be fun Mm. of people sitting in bedrooms and you know typing away and 
you know, even the magazines had died by then, or they were on their last gasp legs, or well, probably were, you know. It, it was just, there wasn't, it was all money. It was, everything was for the money. Now, there wasn't any, there wasn't any hope or anything like that. It wasn't like the next game is going to be one I'm going to enjoy writing. It was like the next game is for the money. See, I, I, I bought a house out of the millions I'd earned. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and this was the 90s and the mortgage rate was going through the roof and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the interest rate. So uh, I had no choice. I had to keep writing games to keep, you know, to keep a roof over my head, mm. you know, because despite we weren't driving Porsches and, you know, Ferraris, as I've said, mm. and that was the day it all died. Mm -hmm. That was the day it died. And then, you know, it, it's me just saying that. And then the very last line, you know, from then on, writing games wasn't fun anymore. And it wasn't fun. It, genu it genuinely wasn't. It, it was the day it all died for me. I mean, it might have, you know, might have kept going for other people. And then and it goes from doing something you like and doing something you do for free, which is what the hell I was doing with our type, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly didn't write that game for the money. And it became this, you know, you, you're now doing it for the money. You're now doing it. You don't care what, what, what is it? Is it what, what game is it? I don't care what, what's, what, you know, don't care what the game is. Tell me what the, uh, you know, the remuneration mm. is. You know, how much bunts mm. am I getting out of it? Mm. That's, mm. that's when it all changes. And so I, I thought that's a way to end the book by saying, you know, this is all this, it leads up to this and that's the end. And then I thought, no, that's a bit too much. I'll take that out. I'll, I'll keep that in, in, you know, in reserve mm. for a podcast in the future. That was yes. my thinking in, like, in 2013 <laughs> when I wrote the book. Someone will want to hear this. Anyway, that was it. That was it. It was just to take that out because it was to show that everything ends. Yeah, yeah. I don't think as a reader it would have um, it would have irked me if it had remained in. Um, I think the re yeah re reading uh, all of your exploits through with uh, Rampage and R-Type and the people you had to deal with and the people that were like you that had to deal with the same challenges. I mean the the, the Commodore sixty four programmers of the of, of R-Type and yeah and and the yeah. way that they were sort of uh, treated and mm. um, you know the 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 way games history remembers them. You know and I think. It wouldn't have been a surprise to have a chapter like that at the end of the book, but then on the other side, it was you know it was a thoroughly br brilliant read anyway. Um, so you know it didn't it didn't need that chapter, but I do wonder whether from the on the other side as a consumer of the games, I think I touched on that earlier where you know all of a sudden games became very good and then and then then I weren't interested anymore, and I'm wondering if that's a similar thing. Where you were you were experiencing that as a as a as a content creator, as they would say in in these god awful times, you know, <laughs> you know uh, content you know content creation. But as a consumer, I think I had the same thing when I was looking at looking at adverts, and they're all generically done. And I was looking at games, they're all generically done. And uh, you know, I was even seeing it in the arcade. You know, it's sort of like oh. Uh, once you realise they could take a board out of a out of a cabinet and put another board in. I don't know. There's some magic lost, I think, and 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 I think your 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 final chapter sort of articulates that to me in 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 a different kind of way. But the end is the same. I obviously didn't know when I was when I was speaking to you about a a book for the ZX Spectrum. And I, I sort of said, oh well, you know, have you done anything else? And you did mention that you uh, released something that's available on uh, archive.org, uh, which is Deadlights. And and Deadlights, it, it's sort of like. 
this man has got an encyclopedic knowledge on on B movies and and if he's that good at B movies, he must be good at movies full stop, you know, and it's, um, <laughs> it, it's something that I don't, I mean, I'll, I'll watch films, you know, and, and things. I'm, I'm fascinated by the world of cinema. So is that something that you've always been interested in as well, uh, alongside programming? Yeah, I've always been into films um, and specifically the films you're not supposed to watch. The ones that people say you can't, you, you are not allowed to see that. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking, you know, Hyper violence and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know. Were you around for the video nasties? Yes, yes, yes. You know, there were about 70 odd, 72 of them. Yes, yes. I've got copies of them all, not all because right. I sit there going, Oh, look at the blood, <gasps> look at that, oh, he's in his brain. But it's like you're not allowed to watch that, and I have to say, Why? Why am I not allowed to watch it? I want to watch it now because you say I'm not allowed to watch it, so I I'll watch it. Yeah. Now, you watch some of them, you know, some of them, and you go, Okay. I really didn't want to watch that one. There are still some video nasties that are banned. The SS experiment camp, and rightly so. I'm, I'm not supporting that. The subject matter shouldn't should never have been done as entertainment. Mm. Really, I mean, you know. But as a film, when you're watching them and you you're seeing, you know, the the prisoners are being hosed down and the guard dogs are barking, and then you realise, and because you read it or you see it for yourself, that what the guard dogs are doing, they're Alsatians and they're playing with the water and they're jumping up and they're trying to get a drink, you know, <laughs> and it just takes it. It's you you can't take them seriously. You should take them seriously for the subject matter. You know, as I said, that time and now, you know, there are subjects, certain things. That shouldn't be entertainment. But once you get over the idea of them, the content is laughable. It's often laughable. And I, I'm usually, if I'm if I'm watching a film with someone, I will talk back. I will make stupid remarks. You know, if you, if you're watching some kind of torture scene with a nurse, I, I you know I'm liable to say something like, uh, you know, oh, you don't get that on the NHS, now do you? You know, it just it's. So all my life, it started off, my mum used to take me to, you know, a cinema, and this is, you see Disney stuff. And then she'd, uh, we'd, we'd slot in a 1 million years BC or some other, what was the other one? The fastest guitar in the West, I think that was Roy Orbison. Weird thing, weird, strange ones. Yeah. So, you know, it then became, well, let's see films that are hard to find. Let's see films with weird titles, you know, Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. Wouldn't you want to watch that? Wouldn't you want to watch a film about a bed that eats people? Yeah. You know, seriously. And and behind the painting is the spirit of Aubrey Beardsley. And the bed makes chomping noises and as, as people lie on it and then get sucking and just sink underneath it as it eats them. I mean, it's a stupid film, but it, I mean, you know, you, you watch that. I mean, it's got to be better than the latest Marvel piece of crap. You know, what, is it, what do you want to watch? You know... Come on, do you want to watch the Marvels or do you want to watch, I mean, stuff, not necessarily stupid stuff. But I mean, one of my favorite films is, is called Pandora. It's a Korean film, quite a modern one, about uh, an explosion at a nuclear power station and the aftermath. And the difference between, if it was a Hollywood film, it would star Arnold Schwarzenegger or The Rock and his son would be trapped under the rubble and he'd have to go in and there'd be, oh, and you know, brilliant. But, you know, with Pandora, it's a case of people close to it, they've got radiation poisoning. There's no cure to it. Mm. 
and it then becomes a story of heroism and heroics and it goes and does things that you will never see in a hollywood film because it's in their contract that the hero doesn't die the son doesn't die how many how many hollywood films have we seen with a dog where the dog's put in danger mm-hmm. and at the last second you know what's the one in you know independence day yeah come on boomer come on and he just just manages and he doesn't die i think there's another one in um oh it's probably one in 2012 and but it's this case of someone points a gun at a dog they're not going to shoot the dog you're no. not going to see a dead dog yeah. unless it's an act you know unless you're watching you know one of the soul films or something but yeah. if you're watching a big budget hollywood film no one's going to shoot the dog if you're watching a big budget korean or Japanese or any anything that's, you know, and someone points a gun at a dog, you don't know what's going to happen. Right, yes, yes, yes. Cause it's, you uh, don't yeah. know. what, But you know in America, it's like, yeah, dog, right, he's going to escape. Yeah, okay, right, yeah, the hero's going to be alive. Yeah, the rock is going to, you know. How many mm-hmm. times has the rock died in a film? I think it's once, the Scorpion King. Sorry, when a very, very bad CGI yeah, rock yeah. dies in Scorpion yeah. King. yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, no, it's interesting with cinema tropes because um, you tend to find that um, the hero normally doesn't have parents. He normally has like an uncle and, and, a, and an aunt. You know, there's a, you know, there's a sense of estrangeness with a hero in in a Hollywood film as well. You know, you look at Luke Skywalker. You know, he, he in the first film, the, the the setup was you know it's his uncle and aunt, wasn't it on on, yeah. on the planet? Yeah, you look at films like that. There's always these similar tropes that run right the way through, which is uh, interesting movie mechanics, I think. Very similar to game design in a way. You know, to make plot device A work, you need device C and device D needs to be set in a certain place for it to become a hit movie. Um, Yeah, but that's kind of Hollywood thinking. It's formulaic. It's... um... I think it was Sam Coney who says, you know, you st- start a film with an earthquake and build up to a climax. <laughs> you know, they're, they're designed to be roller coaster. There will be three acts or something. There will be, they, they used to call Star Trek shows a, uh, ABC films because you went from A to B and then B to C, but C was the same. So it would be a case of you, where you started, something would happen, you'd fix it, and then you'd be back to where you were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was that. It was just always the same. And if if you look up any, you know, how to how to write a script, kind of books and things, it will always be the same thing. You know, cut it down into acts. This act you end on a climax. This end you build. This end you, you know, it it's a formula you read about. But then you said you watch other films. I'm not, I'm not don't necessarily mean Asian films. A lot of European films, they pull the rug out from under you you don't expect it the only time i've ever seen that was in john car again another john carpenter assault on precinct 13 the very uh, the original mm-hmm. where the villains are driving the gangs are driving around randomly shooting people and you see them lining up their sights on a little boy going for an ice cream and you're thinking yeah yeah and they shoot the guy and shoot the boy in the head you know and he's dead and you think shit wow. yeah yeah what, what, what what's what's gonna happen now yeah, that's it. Yeah, so all, pro- you know, all bets are off. Yeah, all conventions have been broken. This is it. Where where is the film going to go next? Yeah, yeah, and this is it. But, but any big budget, I mean, look at the Marvels. You know, uh, well, please don't, please don't look at the Marvels. Please I don't try, look at the Marvels. I tried looking at the Marvels, but um, it, the time investment I'm looking at now, I think I just don't have like forty nine hours 
view time to try and watch them in the right order or whatever and it's hard to keep up now with them and uh, you know in the good old days you'd watch one and and then that would be it but um, they're all it's like a slide puzzle you know and they they, they, if, yeah. if something don't work, they just reinvent the universe somewhere else, and and it can work there instead. Well, I've just finished reading the uh, the MCU book. You know, what's it called Inside the MCU? Oh, it's a history of Marvel, pretty much up until middle of 2023. And you think, oh, it's going to be this puff piece on Marvel, and it's going to be, Mar-, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about. I mean, you know, it goes into even goes into the use of steroids to build up the characters who were playing the heroes so that they, you know, they're muscly enough. It goes into, you know, why was Iron Man killed off at the end of, uh, you know, sorry, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> why was he killed off at, uh, you know, Avengers Endgame? Answer, because uh, Robert Downey Jr. was on a deal that got him $75 million. You know, he, he was in participation. When he did Iron Man, apparently he got 500000 flat out for it. $500,000, the end. Here you go, half a million. Right. By the time he got to said end life and Infinity Wars, he was getting $75 million a film. Wow. Yeah. He was getting a piece of the action. And it wasn't just him. It was, you know, that's why Captain America is no longer Captain America. That's why Thor is turning, you know, is, is female Thor. It's, it's this thing that we can't afford the actors anymore, so we'll kill them off. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That's why they, they they never made Iron Man four. And it's other things like why was Spider Man in Endgame? But you haven't seen him since. It's because of a falling out with Sony. And uh, and so what you think is plot points and what you think is you know scripting, yeah. it's actually business. It's money. This is how it's going to be. It's, it's rather Orwellian, isn't it? They just rewrite the facts to to suit the narrative at the time. Um. Well, yes, <laughs> it's like how it, it is. It is Marvel. Seemed, well, as you, you know, Marvel seemed to have lost their way completely now. That's why I like films going back to the seventies, eighties. You know, you've got uh, films made just because they are films. They're not made to be events. They're not made to make money hand over fist. Uh, I mean, up until what was it? One of them. They, they, you see, Marvel apparently had this committee that used to control everything. And Marvel existed solely to make money off toys. Yeah. And nobody bought female toys. So that's why when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, you could buy toys of all the Guardians of the Galaxy except, what's her name, Gamora? Right. You know, the female characters. Because females don't buy action figures. So therefore, no female action figure. This, uh, the, the Avengers film, there wasn't a Black Widow figure. There were the male figures, but there was no Black Widow figure because same reason. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it, it was that. It's all what you think, what you see. There's a reason behind it, mm, mm. you know, and it's money. It's always yeah. money behind it. And that's why I like some of the, you know, smaller films. I don't know uh, how far you've got in the book, if you've got that far, I mean, in the yeah, Deadlights yeah. book. Yeah, I've been, I've, been, I've been reading a couple of them, but uh, I've only just been scanning... A few of them, but I think one of the best strap lines was where it's, it's not easy to stay alive when you're immortal or something was a strap line on one of the one of the things. And, and I was sort of oh, like, yes, um, yeah, he never died, yes, yeah. uh, he never died. That's a great film, that is a, a really genuinely fun. It's the blackest of black comedies, 
really is. Um, they made a sequel called She Never Died, which does turn up on TV. Don't watch it. It's not very good. <laughs> Marvel won't be making that one then. <laughs> but uh, no, Henry, Henry Rollins, it's, it's, just, you know, it's the antithesis of the um, Highlander films. You know, we're immortal, we're alive. Oh, look, we're going to, you know, onward to further adventures. It's like, if you've been alive for centuries, there's nothing left to do. It's boring. Boring. You know, in, in the character goes to please bingo, because it you can just switch off, you know, just for a little while. It's yeah. just something and it's not that. You know, but you see when, if you watch the film, his attitude when someone, you know, he doesn't like being shot with certain bullets because they tend to stick in him and he gets migraines. That's why he's pulling bullets out of his head. You know, he's got to do it or he get a migraine. And, you know, a lot of it is exasperation that he's got to get up off his chair to buddy kill that man and he just wants to sit on his chair and be left alone until the next 100 years pass yeah yeah so, and, uh, it's a great take yeah yeah how do you um so how do you find out about these films in it i mean because they're not they're not sort of like um i wouldn't call them theatrical releases a lot of these well they are, are oh, well, they, they, yeah. well they're dvd releases as well yes i don't know i just come across them some of the sites melon farmers Mm-hmm. You know, if you know about that, that tends to cover a lot of releases, censorship problems and things. As I said, you know, I don't really want to see, I don't want to see Barbie. Mm. I mean, I've got this to watch. That is the Easter um, Bunny Kill Kill. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, apparently it's a really terrible film. Yeah, but it's a take on uh, the Russ Meyer film, Fast and Pussycat Kill Kill. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I'd rather watch that than Barbie. Yeah. It's probably shit. Yeah. I mean, Barbie. You know, look at the money they spend on Barbie. It's a, you know, it's a pretty good film. <laughs> um, I've actually, I think Amazon have delivered my latest Blu-ray, so I'll be watching that later on. Brilliant. That's yeah. a Pete Sellers. a Pete Sellers film. You know, you just come across. And when I was doing Deadlight, some of the stuff like, how, how do you find a South African revenge flick? I don't know. I just did. <laughs> I just do. So with the Deadlight series, you were explaining that was um, was it a free sheet you were giving out with, to start with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I had a laser printer, color laser printer, so I'd print up 50, 50 sheets of paper, double sided, and take them down to the comic shop and say, "Here you go." And uh, Simon, guy behind the counter, he decide you know who wanted one, who didn't want one, or whatever, and he just slide a copy into your latest edition of Batman or something if he thought you'd like it, and off it went. Oh, that's brilliant! Yeah, but it got zero, absolute zero feedback. <laughs> ten ten <laughs> yeah. issues, no emails, no feedback, no nothing. No, uh, but uh, I knew that. I mean, that that wasn't the point of it. It was just to do it. You know. So you said ten issues. How, how many issues did you get for the book? I think it's in the hundreds, isn't it? No, it's t- it's twelve issues. I did. I, I physically created ten, mm-hmm. and then COVID hit, so yes. I couldn't hand it out. But I made. I had the issues because I always worked in advance, so I always had next month's issue ready to go mm-hmm. when I gave up the last issue. So I thought, oh, well, let's you know, let's put them all together and let's beef up the graphics. Let's let's put more pictures in. Let's put more posters in and everything, and um, let's just give it away if you want it. You know, that was the idea. No, it's it's a lovely thing to uh, read, and I, I'm enjoying reading through it. It sort of takes me back to like like I say, I was never really a, a film goer and all that, but I mean the the synergy of comic books and movie magazines reminds me of like starburst and things like that you know when uh 
when they were available in, in the same news agent. You know, it's quite a great thing to read. But um, you were talking about banned cinema. I wonder, did, did you ever? Um, Clockwork Orange is uh, one of my was was a film that I wanted to watch because it was banned, and then. It wasn't banned. No, 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 no. It wasn't ah, banned. Yes. It was. Uh, it was withdrawn by Stanley Kubrick. Right. Um, it, it got released, and there were sort of similar attacks by the drugs, you know, yeah. the, the, on, on tramps and things. Yeah. And there was pressure to ban it, but Kubrick withdrew it deliberately. It was never banned. It just what? wasn't available. Why did he withdraw it, then, Bob? He was. Well, I think it was because of the attacks. He saw that people, you know, people were copying the film. And uh, and he pulled it. Yeah, I find that with the Kubrick version, it's sort of like after reading the book, there's a 21st chapter in, in the book that Anthony Burgess wrote, but the American producers only went ahead with the 20-chapter book in America, and that's the one that Kubrick based the film on. So it had sort of a, like a different message and a different different meaning in the uh, in the film uh, than it did to the book, which is a crying shame. And then... Um, you know, the more I find out, you know, like Stanley Kubrick, he he used you know a different ending in The Shining to what Stephen King wanted, and the, and and then you find that um you know the end of The Shining was used in the uh in the in the end of the theatrical cut of Blade Runner, yeah, the and, unicorn, uh, yeah, and and, and you, you just find that um I'll never watch a film again to get out of reading the book. I think, in a nutshell, <laughs> have you seen have you seen a documentary called Room Two Three Seven? I don't believe I have. No, no. What's that about? It's it's about The Shining. Yeah. And it's about the conspiracy theories of The Shining. Oh, okay. And um, um, what the real meaning of The Shining is, and it goes from everything from pointing out to uh, you know in the in the kitchen you see the cans of food and they've got an Indian head on it, and it's all to do with you know, the Indian nations. It, it it's as if. There's a load of nutters in it, basically. Uh, yeah. There's one very, there's one really very good point though, and that is if you follow Danny Torrance when he's on his tricycle going around the hotel. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a single shot. It's not cut at any point, but he goes around the hotel, and but he starts off on the ground and he ends up sort of on the first floor. It's how does he get up there? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's and it's yeah. stuff like ah, there's a reason for that, according to room, you know, one of the contributors of Room Two Three Seven. I'm not going to spoil it because a, I can't remember what it is. Yes, <laughs> and b, I can't remember what it is. Um, no, it's it's full of stuff like that. You know, it's the conspiracy theories behind The Shining told by some nut jobs yeah it's quite quite weird because i mean kubrick went uh he, he did he do 2001 as well that's he did 2001 good. yes that's his there, there's the guy the exercising in, in the machine that's like a perpetual motion yeah machine i wonder if it's the same technique he probably uh developed from that maybe or i'm not sure about the chronology no no that was a gimbal that, yeah yeah oh, it's that, was, that was a huge rotating sound stage as you there's behind the scenes footage of that on on the blu-ray and the uhd yeah, yeah. up there and um <laughs> it's it's a gimbal. It, you have a rotating screen, and you but a camera's fixed in the middle. So as you rotate, it looks like the person is moving up rather than they are standing in one place. And it's the thing that's revolving around you. Oh, I see. I've seen that in a Jamiroquai music video. I think it's a similar thing to that as well. So it's um. Oh, it's the one where he's jumping on the uh, slidey platforms yeah, as they go all around. Virtual insanity. I think that's, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, so, Bob, I'm going to ask you a question here. I'm not going to ask you what your favourite film is. You can if you want. Oh, oh, okay. But I'm just going to ask you, 
how many favourite films do you have? Um, <laughs> there's some films I deliberately won't watch because I enjoy them so much, and I keep I'm keeping them. Used to be the uh, used to be the cold it story on TV, the black and white you know escaping from the prisoner of war. I love that film, but and it's on every few months. But if you watch it every few months, you it becomes a nothing. It just becomes wallpaper. So I won't watch it now. One my favorite film is a Brian De Palma film called The Phantom of the Paradise, which is the first entry in the book on Deadlights. Right. That's why it's there right at the start. Yes. I've seen that in cinemas in Paris. I've seen it in cinemas in London. I've seen it in cinemas in Swansea. The, I own the tape. I own the French DVD, the American DVD, the Blu-ray. There's no UH, There's no 4K version of it yet. I love the film. I, I think it's brilliant. It's an early Brian De Palma, so he's still finding his feet. There's a lot of techniques borrowed from Hitchcock in there. Split screen. He was a big one for split screen as well. But I won't watch that. And, and I haven't seen it for years because I don't want to watch. I'm keeping it for a special occasion because when I watch it, it will be a special occasion. But that was the kind of film. I mean, when my grandmother died, I was told, you know, I told she'd passed. And then I went to the cinema and watched it just so I could sit in the dark, you know, and just that's because it meant something to me. Perhaps that's why I like it so much. It, it's got a personal appeal. Yeah. Uh, as to other films, usually it's little bits. I mean, I, I like Ready or Not, which was a film from a couple of years ago. And literally, I think it's about two years old, which is a very black comedy about the new bride in a family, but the family have got a secret that where she has to die. So throughout this, I'm really good. Point. But the ending, I could watch the ending over and over again, and I do. And it's, it's uh, I won't spoil it, but it's a case of selling your soul to the devil or did you kind of um, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then at the end, there's a, a what do you know, call it, a denouement that is is brilliant. <laughs> just, just makes me smile. It's, it's a great ending. But I watch, I mean, that, that, I watch an ending of something like that. But entire films, new films, I have no idea about that I am really pleasantly surprised about. And I'll go, that was, that was good. I, I enjoyed watching that one. Some films you don't, I mean, some films you just want to fast forward through, you know, boring bits and you do. But other films, mark of a good film is when it ends you want to see the next one and there isn't a next one he never died you know is uh he never died sorry is <laughs> is a good one about that you want to you you're so involved and you want to see more at the end and you think oh there isn't any more oh oh yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> stuff like that i, I think yeah, it's, it's a strange thing isn't it because like I'm, I'm a big fan of uh blade runner which is obviously more of a commercial theatrical thing but although the first one wasn't in all fairness it was, it was probably a risk of getting what you want with the 2049, you know. It's sort oh, of like yeah. there's a lot of a lot of ideas that were meant to go in the first one, obviously, but, you know, Ridley Scott just couldn't get them in there. And they were used in the second one, but I won't watch the second one. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with the first one in the, well, the three versions there are of that now. But, um, you know, I'm quite happy for, for Deckard to run off with the girl and and stay out of trouble or whatever you know i don't really want to know that she could have got pregnant and and you know she was one of the replicants that did and you know he was a replicant that could 
get her in the family way and all that. I'm, I don't really need to know that because you know, the story for me was it was a dark and rainy cityscape and uh, quite cyberpunk and, and things like that. But um, I think I'll come around to it in the end, you know. And it, 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 yeah, it, it's one of them ones where you, it's the old curse, isn't it? May you get what you what you wish for. And sometimes when people want it, well, it in the gates, the entire premise of the first one, which was is is or isn't Deckard a replicant? Yeah, you know all the little clues. You know at the end when Edward uh, Edward Olson Jr. You know says you've done a man's work, sir. Yeah. You know, when he calls to him, you can just hear him say, you've done a man's work, sir. You know, and you think, why is he saying that? You know, how does he know about unicorn? How does he know what's in Deckard's dreams? Yes. You know, when when there's a unicorn, yeah. which actually comes from legend. And the unicorn sequence is from legend. But of course, oh, no, Deckard's a real man because he's alive and he's, all, you know, oh, okay. So what was the point of the first film then, you know, other than to set things up? So it's it's it damages, the, the, the second damages the first by going, as you see, it just, goes a little bit too far it gives you you know be careful what you wish for you might just get it as you say with that film you do you do get you do get answers you shouldn't you know there are films you shouldn't have answers to like he never dies you know who he is you kind of find out as i said but what he is is you never find out it's better for that yeah yeah it's um and another film that i, I quite like which um when you re-examine it when you're when you're older it's more of a theological film than anything else, and that's Tron. Uh, you know, where they, where they, you know, they're saying the programmer. Does the programmer actually exist? You know, these these bites are running around. You know, are under tyranny, and they're wondering if there's like a, a great program in the sky there, there to rescue them and all that. And there's a a big, a big theological debate going on in that film. Although it, at the time it was um, more of a showcase of what can be done with uh, with graphics and and yeah. things like that. And it, it is. I found that quite interesting. And again, you know, the, the, the Tron sequel as such was more of a fan thing and it was, um, you know, it was a bit more Crash Bang Wallop, you know, and it was... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you always get that. You always get bizarre theories. There's uh, William Goldman, uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade, the book. There's, I think it's, I think it's that one where there is a breakdown of a sequence of a Hitchcock film, I think it is, where a car goes through a wooden fence. And the breakdown is that the remains of the fence end up looking like a cross, and the car registration could be interpreted as the anti-God, as some kind of religious message. Therefore, the whole scene is either an attack on Christianity or a support of it, or, you know, it's that. And then the guy who sort of, you know, said, look, you know, we use that car registration because it's my car. We went through the fence and that's just the way it wasn't pre-cut or anything. That's how it ended up. There is no subtext. There is no theory. You know, King Kong, you know, the original 1933 King Kong. It was the, uh, you know, the emancipation of the black man. King Kong opening the gates. Ah, you know, that's the black man announcing himself to the world. No, it's not. It's a bloody big monster coming through you know, some wooden gates. Mm -hmm. And they, you always get that. There's always uh, people have to show how clever they are yeah. by saying, ah, no, 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 you didn't mean that. What you really meant was this. I know what you're doing. See, I'm clever. <laughs> I spotted that. See, yeah. I'm with you. I know as much as the director does. You know, I know more than you watching me, watch, you know, writing, reading this, watching this. I know more than you because I spotted it and you didn't. Oh, mm. This is it. Yeah, it's all, all gatekeeping, isn't it? And it's... Uh... 
not knowledge becomes a bit of a currency and and if you don't you just change change the rules and uh, change the interpretation on a film and then uh, yeah you're away ain't you i guess so uh, there's, yeah. there's something that happened we were talking about films and computer both films and computer games have the same nasty little thing and that is someone will identify a film or a game that is not very well known and then they'll go wow, this is a great game. You really need to watch this film. You really need to play this game. Boy, if you like, you know, Sable Wolf, if you like Alienate, you love this game. Look what I found. It's brilliant, isn't it? And it's the same with films, you know. Look, look at this 1940s black and white yeah. film noir. It's got undertones. It's, it shows this... <laughs> There's a few movie critics like that. I think they, um, yeah, they get there's a lot of suits corner, isn't it? Where they, where they're uh, talking about how great something is, like a really obscure film, and uh, yeah, they they pride themselves on, on on finding it and saying that, and then yeah. uh, all of a sudden you're going, oh, maybe I'm not such a astute person because I I didn't pick up on that in the first place. Yeah, if it's if it's been if it's so good, why has no one else spotted it? You know, why why is a ninety you know why is a, a terrible sh you know game from nineteen eighty four or eighty five? Oh, look at this! It's oh look yeah, it's fantastic. You know, no, it's not. It's it's not. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not. Stop it. <laughs> no, that's it. Well, look, Bob, I know that we're only really going to do a test today, but we've got to half past <laughs> three in the afternoon. Yeah, sure. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed it. So I, um, I don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want to do more chatting, I'm happy to. I've got quite a few stories. Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. you want to want old stories about the, the old days, I remember the old days, yeah. or you I'm yeah. turning to me dad. My dad was like <laughs> that. I mean, he would to get sort of semi-serious for for one moment when my dad died uh that's why dead lights that's why the that's why it exists if you read it there's a lot in there about my experiences going to the cinema in swansea and their stories that i've told them now and i'm happier for telling them i don't care if nobody reads them I, what difference does it make that the, the floors of the carlton cinema smell the death all you know <laughs> to me they do i can smell it now as i'm saying it it's a story that when i'm dead it's dead what do they say you die twice the first time when you die the second time when no one remembers you anymore oh gosh yes you know? yeah, and yeah. it's that and it's that's kind of another reason for deadlights it's it's to tell some stories it's to get it out there i don't think there are any more cinema stories uh, mm. i need to tell about those days not that i can remember mm. well probably can if i had a push but it's done um, you know, as you as you get older, you find. Do you remember the um? Do you remember the Star Trek story Tapestry, Picard, Next Generation one? Sorry, right. Um, yes, I, I and, stopped watching uh, uh, Next Generation when Rikard grew a beard. Oh, okay. It's called Tapestry, and <laughs> yeah. Picard gets killed, and he ends up in the afterlife, and there's God turns around to him, and it's Q. You know, mm. welcome to the afterlife, Jean Luc. You're dead. You know, and then Picard refuses to accept that any universe that would have him as a god, you know, mm. Q as a god, would exist and go, oh, blasphemy. And uh, he takes him back. And it's, it's at the end, it's all about the tapestry of your life. You pull one thread and it unravels. But as you get older, you realize there are these outstanding threads and you've got to tie them off because if you don't, they're just gone. Mm. So I'm 
contacting people I went to school with to say, you know, I remember you. It's, it's yeah. the famous Ray Bradbury thing, you know, um, in the story where he, he leaves a message in the tree, you know, for his older self. Yeah. And then when the older self goes back to the tree, he reads what the boy wrote and then the message is, I remember you. You know, oh, and yeah. it's it's that it's just to finish off one of the things again. I said when my dad died, we cleaned out the house because you had to, you, you know. And you think that's me in a few years' time. That's going to be my stuff. Sorry to bring it down. I don't mean to no. bring it down. It's just my thinking. Yeah. So let's get stuff done. Let's mm -hmm. let's tell stories. Let's do things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've hinted at the second spectrum book. That's a whole whole thing. <laughs> that was a specific that was done specifically for a reason and that was one of the reasons i've all i've had for years but it's done it's <laughs> out of the way i can you know i don't have to lie in bed thinking what else have i got to do with my life now i'm doing these things it's yes. not a bucket list no bucket list is different bucket list is things i've always wanted to do but these are things i've never done mm. that deserve to be finished <laughs> and i said let's get old i'm 64 yeah. I shall be having my pension in two years' time. I'm looking forward to that. I have my free bus pass. Excellent. Excellent. I am I am retired. Yeah. I own the house. I watch what the gas and electric bills do, and that's about it, really. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, other than that, yeah. I keep myself doing yeah. things and trying to sort out these these. You know, these final things. One thing I really don't want to do, I've got a lot of good films. I've got a lot of stuff up in the attic. Yeah, when I die, I don't want to go into a charity shop. I do not want someone going, oh, look, it's a 48K Spectrum. What do you want for it? Fiber? Yeah, go on, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's that, kind of, it's that kind of stuff. There's stuff up there. There's stuff behind me. I'm selling. Yeah. You know, it'll be sold because otherwise it's going to go in a charity box and you're going to be picking up, you know, 4K Blade Runner discs for 50p in the charity shop. No, no. you're not. You're not having mine. No. Not mine. Not no, mine. I think that's an interesting thing, you know, you say about, you know, of all the things that you've picked up and all that, you know, they're, they're things that you use, they're your tools. And if it's a DVD, it's a, a tool for your understanding. If it's a computer, it's a tool that you've used to obviously ply a trade or something like that. And there's there's a lot of stories in, in these things, you know, and and I think, you know, you're right. You know, you, you shift it along and, and do that, you know, rather than it just being sort of like... Um, just another box for someone to uh, to do yeah. to declutter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, one thing about this. That. No, one thing Go about on. this spectrum book. Then I wasn't going to mention that in the podcast. So I didn't know how how we approach that because you. It's only ten, <laughs> there's only ten copies. It wasn't done for any commercial reason, and I I wouldn't want to arouse any sort of interest that would impact upon you negatively bob so i don't know how i'm into uh it talk about yeah, this okay. spectrum book yeah do you want to do you want to see a proof copy uh, there's a 10 copies yeah. of my one proof copy hang on yeah yeah sure there are genuinely only 10 copies 10 wow. 10 nine, nine i sold and one i gave away and that there's mm. a story to that but i'm not going to say i'm not no. going to tell that story no but uh here you go here is yeah 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 leave leave play depressed poking yeah. fun at zx spectrum loading screens oh very nice yes oh yeah full color lots of pictures lots of loading screens yeah mainly the comments the screens are nothing because you can go there's only so many contains go look at the funny screen ho 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 look at this crap spectrum screen ho 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 you know yeah. you can't do that for 130 odd pages so there is some extreme do you mind if i read one out to you uh, to do. give you a sample, this Please is um, yeah. 
Let's see, page 94. Hang on, there's credits for this. This is computer darts from AVB Software. Bear in mind, it's not, it doesn't have to be crap. Um, it's just no, it's to the point. Yeah, there we go. Right, look at the dart. This is it. Yeah, yeah. This is the write-up for it. Do you remember those old flapping bird toys? The ones where you wound up an elastic band and an avian approximation and maniacally beat its wings as it whizzed about the room for a few seconds before crashing into that vase Auntie Ivy bought you as a wedding present? I never liked that vase anyway. I mean, it doesn't go with the curtains. And if that's Port Myron, then I'm a sailor's hornpipe. But can we throw it away? Oh, no, get the super glue, she says. What if Aunt Ivy visits, she says. We won't be in her will if she thinks we don't take care of her things, she says. Anyway... While I'm trying to unstick my fingers, I have an idea. If I glue one of her sewing needles onto the front end of a super flappy bird and aimed it at a dartboard, I could invent a new... Oh, it's already been done. <laughs> no, my fingers sticking to the keyboard. Bum! <laughs> it's that. If, if you're a fan of Victor Lewis Smith, if you've ever come across Victor Lewis Smith's work, you will recognise that. It's, right, it's full yes. of that. It's basically... Terrible, in my opinion, loading screens, either because they're terrible yeah. or there is something about it that makes me laugh or giggle or cringe or whatever, followed by some atrocious writing along those lines. <laughs> We're packed with loads of references to films and cinema yeah. and TV and movies and music mm -hmm. that you probably wouldn't get. And yeah. I just wrote it when we were in lockdown, really. Mm -hmm. And people were always telling me, why don't you... Uh... There you go. Yeah. Can't have it. No. People are saying, oh, you know, why is the book free? Why don't you sell the book? Why don't you do it? So I thought, you know what? You want to... I'll sell you a book. Mm -hmm. You want a book you got to pay for? You can mm -hmm. have a book. I'll do mm -hmm. your book. Yeah. And I came, you know, so mm -hmm. here you go. Here's 10 copies, getting quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. And yeah. it went totally under the radar of most people, which I'm glad. Yes. Yes. Because I didn't want people going, oh, Bob's written another Spectrum book. And, you know, mm -hmm. it just took me 10 weeks to sell, to get rid of more. No, yeah. Yeah, 10 weeks. I think I put one up every week. Oh, wow. Or every fortnight. So what do you do? Do you put them up on, um, like, uh, what, what site do you put them up on to, to, to sell I them I put out? it on eBay. Yeah, all right. They so... were on eBay. And uh, each one came with a custom written advert for it. Each one was different along yeah. the lines of what you just heard. Yeah, yeah. Load, total load of rubbish. And I really enjoyed writing the adverts. And the first one went for a low amount of money. And then by the time we got to number nine, it was stupid amounts of money. So yeah. there you go. Oh, that's good, though. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. So that is the mystery book, the, the third... Well, the the second Spectrum book from the uh, pipe. That uh, is but... the second Spectrum book. There is no PDF. There are no, no. extra copies. There's this. This is my proof. I don't really need the copy because I've got the PDF and here the you know yeah. the the raw files, and yeah, it's <laughs> you can't even find it on Google. Have you tried it? No, you can't well, find it. Uh, when when I when I Google your name, it's behind you. Comes up obviously, and um, some American authority on on terrorism. Oh yeah, well. also also the mayor of uh, of uh, America, small American town, right? Who's always in the news for some reason? Uh, See, well, he's doing a really good job. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, but he's doing a good job. Uh, Merriam Merriam County, Merriam oh, County, Marium one County. of those. Okay, yeah. Merriam County, uh, but he seems to be doing a good job. He's always uh, pushing pushing the community. So you know, kudos to the guy. He's doing oh. his job. Maybe one day we could fly out there and ask him about our type. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Uh, there's also a there's a Bob Pape because I see that come up. Do you remember he took uh, he took to whatever out during oh, the COVID crisis? Yes, I do. Yes, I don't. Yes. Somebody somebody passed away. Not you know I'm not making not to make a, a joke of that, but uh, that name comes up as yeah. well. That someone someone passed away that and that's kind of a contributing factor. I believe you if you type it into the right search engine, you'll see it. But mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I go by Bob because it's it's shorter than Robert, you know. Yes. Yeah. Which is I do use Robert. I used to be RCP software, which yes. was a totally made up thing, just so that when you dealt with companies and things, they thought you were legit. <laughs> you know, thought you were just well, more than me. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it goes back to earlier when you're saying about all these uh, big software companies and all that, and and if you looked at where their headquarters now on Google Maps, it's uh, quite an eye opener. Uh, I had a copy of uh, your Spectrum open, and there was a uh, there was something being sold in a small ads that was that could convert ZX81 programs to ZX48K programs, and it was I can't remember what 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 the name was, but it was really good. It was one of the best computer names, and I typed it in, and it was like it was a uh, 43B something Street in Ilford, and it and it's it's just like a, it's a flat. <laughs> <laughs> intergalactic computer limited yes, yeah. yeah thinking christ yes. they, they, that, that that must be like that huge building there on the north circular and it's not it's it's, it's the house underneath the large yeah, building well, on the north circular know, trojan light pens yes. you know it's a, it's a semi-detached house on on the main road just over there you know yeah yeah uh, and that's it that kind of thing look at you know uh, yeah that's it that yeah. was it yeah um well anyway i'll give you i'll give you a bit of a spoiler um there was an extra chapter right at the very, very end. It it's, a, it's a one page it and it changes the whole tone of everything. It's set kind of a few years later it and it's really kind of a bit of a downer. Okay. And I took it out. Now, now I know you asked me, you know, in the emails, is there anything mm-hmm. you want to add to the book? Yeah. Not really. I said, there's all the stories. There's no, there's nothing really left over, but there was something taken out. So you're... That's that, that's Burge's chapter twenty one of his book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've got my proof of that. It's it only exists again in my proof with all my writings and things in. But it, you read it; it comes right at the very end. It's the very last page after all the you know, thank you very much and all you know. The, where are we now? And uh, it's my last sort of meeting with Dave Wainwright, okay. the the guy in charge of Catalyst. Yeah. And uh, not necessarily that, but something that then follows from that. And it ends with a, a one sentence that is, if you read it, it changes kind of the whole tone of the book, really. Yeah, yeah. And I took it out because I thought people don't want to end on a downer, do they? Not really. So there you go. Well, can we talk about that the next time? <laughs> sure can. I'm happy a, to talk about Yeah, yeah, that'd be sort okay. of like, was it? Well, I wouldn't want to say Bob Pape the final chapter because that sounds awful, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, but you can see how my mind's working now. <laughs> it is a turning point. I, I'll yeah. give you that. And it is It is absolutely you know, true. It's not because, you know, as I, I, there's a lot of stuff in the book that's personal to me. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a, that is a personal thing. Right. I mean, I can also tell you the very last, um, my very last involvement with computer games, yeah. you know, which turned out to be, you know, well, it was only about 10 or 15 minutes. It was a total debacle you know, from both sides. And it was just like, this was a point where you go, I don't want to do this. You know, I'm, not, I'm giving up now. So, so the moment you said, no, this I'm is so it. I'm so happy. 
Yeah. It's not yeah. happy stuff, sorry. The, you've no. had all the happy stuff. Now you're getting all the shit and depressing stuff. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? I do apologise. Yeah, no, absolutely. You can you oh. can curse. It's, a, it's all contextual, so it's absolutely fine, mate. <laughs> no worries at all. Right, well, it's all getting dark, and I can see you disappearing in the background. I assume oh, yeah, I've got, I've got a blind in my... In, in my ah. Yeah, the sun is always... Yeah, why would you moan about the sun? But I do when it's in my eye. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I look like I'm in a Vincent Price film now. So oh god, you're a vampire. Like that. That's why you're in yes. the dark. Is it vamp- <laughs> bloody? I'm just ahead as well. I'm not wordy. I've come just ahead. Oh but, god, um... you're Holly from Red Dwarf, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew I did delivery. That'd be really cool. But um, yeah, that, that, that's good. It was uh, sorry. I, I, I'll just tell you a quick story. And yeah. one last story. Sorry. After I left Metal, I went for a job with a company called Borg Warner, which is uh, made uh, gearboxes, automatic mm-hmm. gearboxes in the computer room there. And I sat in the reception area. And just like all reception areas in all factories everywhere, there are trade magazines on the table. So you pick up one of these, and it's uh, all about uh, trade awards of the ceremony of the year and winner of the best, you know, rotary cog assembly was John thing, you know, winner of the reciprocating flange, you know, was, you know, and then you realize later on that when it comes to gaming, spectrum gaming in particular, that's the kind of world it is. It really is that small and niche. And if you think, oh, I've written a, I wrote wrote this great game and everybody played it and everything. Yeah, but that's my reciprocating flange. You know, it didn't set the world on fire. People in people's minds who are close to it, it means something. But in the bigger picture, it's just trade. It's a trade game. It's a game for the trade. You Mm -hmm. know, and you're in the trade. It means something. If you're not in the trade, what's a reciprocating flange? What's an R type? You know? Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean anything. So it's a perspective thing. And once you realize that, that it is just, you know, the spectrum. I, I've said the spectrum is a, is a toy machine. And yes. people go, oh, it's not a toy machine. It's no. there. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a toy yeah. machine. It plays games. It's, it's only, you know, that's what it ever was meant to be. You know, forget about what you think it was meant to be. That's what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean if, if you go around thinking, I'm the great programmer, you know, I wrote this and everybody loves it. And don't they love me? Because I get emails all over the place saying it's brilliant. This is that. It's not. It's just, it's the reciprocating flange of the world. It's it's just a game. It's just a game. That's all it is. Mm. Thank you for playing my game. Now play someone else's. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that's definitely going in, Bob. I agree with that completely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, brilliant. Okay then, Bob. All right, I'll end the meeting now, and then okay. hopefully, if the computer's done its job, it's recorded some of this. Oh, I hope and, so. Uh, I'm not doing anything. Not bloody doing this again. I know. Oh, you need. You you need at least five. You you need at least five minutes rest when you it's start going again. again. I'm not saying these stories again. I um, made them. I mean, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I'm telling them honestly from the heart. You know. Yeah. No. I have trouble remembering them again. Oh, but, yeah, no. the mind's going. I've already lost so many brain cells talking to you. Who are you? Thanks again to Bob Pope there for his generous amount of time that he gave in uh, the interview for the podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did actually speaking to them making the uh, show. Remember, if you do like the show, you can rate it in all the normal places. Tell other people all about it. Uh, We're a very exclusive club. And if you are new to the podcast, take a look back at the various other programs that have been made. uh, Because 
Bite High No Limit is really just a podcast about people's relationship with technology and that can be quite loose. If you feel that way inclined, you can uh, buy me a Kofi at kofi.com forward slash bite high. Any contributions just offset the cost of the hosting on Podbean and some various other bits and pieces. Um, Thank you to everybody who's contributed already. You know who you are. This show was edited by my friend Dan Farriman. Theme tune is by Mr. Nisness. You can get him on Bandcamp at Mr. Nisness. Bite High No Limit was presented by me, Carlos, and it is a Bite High No Limit production. And until next time, keep it blocky. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.